Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 100 of the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm still here, but more importantly, you're still here. I feel like I should have some speech ready for 100 episodes, but really I'll just echo what I always say, which is I'm very grateful and humbled to be here talking about bikes, the outdoors, and meeting rad people. It's a pretty sick gig, and I couldn't do it without all your help. So 100 episodes isn't just for me, it's for all of y'all too, and let's do 100 more. I'm just getting warmed up. It doesn't feel like it's already been 100 episodes. You kind of blink, and wow, here we are. We got here faster than I think I realized we would, maybe. When I started the podcast, I was hoping I could get just 100 people to listen, and now we're at 100 episodes. So um, thanks to you for all your support. Thanks for being here. And uh, let's just get on with this episode. Now, if you listen to last week's episode, um, first off, you may have noticed that my energy level was kind of low and I didn't sound too hot. Well, that's because I had COVID. When I was recording the intro to last week's episode, I was getting ready to hop in the car and drive up to Missouri to meet up with Hal Russell. And then a couple of days after that, I was supposed to do a live podcast with the Lechugas. But um, that day when I was driving up to meet up with Hal, I didn't feel too great. And obviously, in the world we live in now, uh, it's the responsible thing to do to get tested. And because getting tested is so popular, actually... Um, the reality is, is because the case numbers are so high, so many people are needing to get tests. I couldn't find any rapid test. So I called Hal, let him know what was going on. And we both agreed that I should prioritize finding a way to get tested. Plus, I was doing a live event um, just a couple days past that. And, you know, for everybody's safety, I need to get tested. So I spent five hours in the parking lot of an urgent care Finally was able to get a rapid test done, cost me $190, but it was $190 well spent because I found out that I did have, have COVID. So headed back home to Texas and had to scrap both of those interviews. But first, I just want to you know thank everybody for all the kind messages uh, that I received throughout the week. Y'all are really great and I am doing great. Uh, my symptoms were pretty mild. It kind of felt like I had a cold, uh, maybe a little bit of a flu. Really not not too bad. Uh, the, the main part of the symptoms only lasted for like two and a half, three days. Um, and then from there, I just kind of felt fatigued. But I'm starting to finally get back all of my energy and ready to get back out there and recapture those episodes that I missed. So here in a couple days, I'm going to be headed back up to Missouri to capture that interview with Hal, and I'm also going to try, try to catch up with the Lechugas while I'm there, so fear not, I'm going to make the drive again. Yeah, I was kind of looking forward to being home, and I had some other plans. I actually wanted to go do an ITT of my East Texas showdown route, but I'm going to have to put that on hold, and like I always do, I prioritize the podcast for y'all over my own personal needs to ride my bike, which is maybe the number one reason why you should step up to be a patron. So without further ado, let's actually give a huge shout out to this week's newest sustaining patrons. 
starting with Keith E. Smith, Brian K. Davis, Jocelyn De La Rosa, Terry Woods, and Diane Precup. Thank you all so much for signing up to be sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast. These episodes take a lot to produce, whether it's driving to capture in-person interviews, being away from family, friends, doing my other job. It takes a lot, and we wouldn't be at 100 episodes if it wasn't for the support of the community. So if you'd like to step up to support the podcast and just say thank you for all the effort, you can find out how over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And I have a little special treat coming out for patrons here in the next couple of days. Just a few days ago, I was interviewed by a master's of journalism student. He reached out to me uh, wanting to know what it was like to be kind of a, a public personality and to be a podcaster and had a lot of uh, interesting questions. And I thought that some of y'all might be interested in, in hearing my kind of behind the scenes thoughts. Uh, he digs into some things that I've never discussed before on the podcast, uh, mostly just because it's not topical. Um, but for anybody who's interested in that, I'm going to be uploading a very raw and unedited uh, audio file from that conversation. I asked him if I could share it with y'all, and he said I could. So if you're interested in hearing about that, there's about an hour and a half conversation that I'm going to be uploading in the next couple of days, and that is going to be available to all patrons. So again, if you want to find out more about how you can support the show and get access to some fun things like that, patreon.com forward slash bikes or death has all the information you need. Now, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Kuad Racks. Christy, welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. Hey there, how's it going? Great. It's uh, great to talk to you today. We've been talking a lot about the Piston Pro X, but I thought we would take a second to talk a little bit today about Kuat and what makes Kuat a great company. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, Kuat Racks makes um, primarily hitch bike rack, you know, products, but um, we also make other great products for getting outdoors. We have, you know, ski and snowboarding racks, and even some kayak racks. And we are, you know, constantly innovating in the outdoor travel accessory space. Um, and and new things are coming down, new and exciting things. But really, truly, what I think sets us apart. Um, as our customer service, uh, we have a no worries warranty. So I'm not sure if you're, you know, all of your listeners know this, but if anything ever goes wrong with your QAP product, you just give us a call or reach out to our website and our actual customer service agents will answer the phone and talk to you and or email chat with you. And usually, you know, what's going on with your rack will we'll get a part out to you that that day get it fixed, or, you know, in some cases, we'll just replace your rack. So if you buy a QAP product, you are um, buying a product that's warrantied for life. We stand behind our products like uh, no other rack company in the space. I'm, I'm fairly sure of that. So I think that's one of those things that really sets us apart. And then another thing we've been doing since uh, 2015 is giving back with our future forest initiatives. So Proceeds from uh, racks sold go to the National Forest Foundation. And I think this is kind of timely now, but we have you know, helped plant over 500,000 trees and fire damaged parts of the United States. So, you know, you buy a Kuat product, you're helping on some small level, you know, give back um, to the environment, the environment that 
all of us, you know, enjoy and, you know, love playing. And um, we also think we should give back to that environment so we can ensure that it'll be there for for us and for our kids and for their kids and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, really socially, we're trying to be conscious of those things and we, we really try to take care of our customers. So outside of the really cool, you know, stylish designs of our products and, and how I think they are super innovative um, and just different from some of the other, you know, rack products that are out there, we really take care of our customers and we try to take care of the environment as best we can. As a customer, I can vouch for your customer service, and I also appreciate the Future Forest Initiative. Yeah, I like that. I even like the name. Did y'all come up with that name? Yeah, we did, yeah. <laughs> the Future Forest Initiative. Well, thanks for coming on today and uh, sharing a little bit more about Kuat. We appreciate everything you guys do. And remember, Kuat, because you love your rack. Yeah, now go ride your damn bike. All right, and today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Ruby Coffee Roasters. Jesse, uh, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be back. One thing I've been thinking about is y'all have a lot of coffee options, which is great, but I found myself on your website almost feeling a little bit overwhelmed trying to decide what coffee I should choose. So I thought it might be helpful to just give people a guide on maybe some some coffees they should be looking for or, or how to go about choosing the right coffee. Yeah, for sure. So the big thing is that we have uh, some blends that are available year round. And then we also have uh, single origin coffees, which which means that they come from one single farm at one point in time, and they're only available once a year because coffee trees only only uh, grow coffee once a year. So for people who are more you know well versed in what they like in coffees and what they're excited about, um, you can always browse the single origin coffees and look at uh, tasting notes to kind of figure out on the bags. Well, this one says. It's got citrus flavors, or that one says it has chocolatey flavors. You can go that way. But if you're brand new to, to picking out coffees on a website, it's a thought easier, I think, to, to look at our blend section. Um, we've got two blends that are available year-round. One is creamery. That's sort of a medium-bodied, uh, sort of medium, sort of chocolatey flavors. Uh, and we also have portage, which is a little bit more heavier a little bit more of those like dark chocolate and caramel notes. And when you pick a blend, those flavor profiles are designed to be the same all year round. So if you have a general idea of what you like, those are pretty safe. Awesome. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I will add that the creamery has become one of my uh, go-tos. I think that's just a good solid coffee that that most people would enjoy, you know? Yeah, a creamery is, I would say, our most popular blend. But whenever I give recommendations, I always like to go one step further. I think popular means that it's good and also means it's a pretty safe pick. But if you're looking to branch out a little, um, Portage gives you a little bit more of those kind of deeper, heavier, maybe good for like a winter's uh, morning cup uh, flavor notes. We also have a featured single origin coffee called Tomorrow. And that is a uh, label where we select coffees to go in the same uh, sort of branding year round. And it's an easier way if you're looking to transition from a blend 
to something that's maybe a little bit more unique or distinct. So tomorrow, a seasonal project is a way to maybe take that one step beyond where maybe you've tried creamier and you like it and you want to see what the next way forward looks like. I can definitely dig that. I, I love trying different coffees. So like I said, y'all have plenty to choose from, but I think that'll help people get started. So thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you to all the supporters of today's episode. Make sure to check the show notes for more information about these sponsors. And without further ado, let's get to today's episode with Dylan Morton. Dylan is a bikepacking badass. He comes highly recommended, and he's made a cameo in the podcast many times as people have brought up his name. And it was time that he finally came on the podcast so we could we could learn from him and hear his story straight from his mouth. I'm so glad that so many of y'all recommended him to me because um, he's another one of these just amazing human beings that's doing radical things, living an intentional life, and not doing it for any other reason other than you know personal satisfaction, personal growth, and, uh, and living an intentional life in a way that that he finds to be fulfilling and. It's just another great example about how deep and rich this community is. We have so many people who pursue epic things and they don't do it for notoriety or to get sponsors or you know anything else. They're just doing it for the love of the outdoors and the love of riding bikes. And if that isn't worthy of a Bikes or Death podcast, I don't know what is. I met up with him at his place of work, which is the Meteor Cafe in Bentonville. They serve everything from coffee to wine to chain lube. And we'll talk more about that on today's episode. So let's get right to it. And without further ado, let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. Just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. I don't know if Bob Barker had a mustache, but he should have. <laughs> he definitely should have. Uh, cheers. Ooh. Cheers. Thank you. No, um, you. Cheersing on dry January. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So every year I participate in uh, dry January, which is uh, you know no booze in January. Yeah. And uh, so I get one mulligan. For oh, the whole month, my my this best is it? my best friend that does uh, that I do this with, he <laughs> mulligan on the first night. <laughs> but for it's a, like after midnight, it's like oh, just one more. Like, no, 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 no. He uh, five, it was like the next day, uh, but he had a good excuse because his wife wanted to build a Lego set that they had um, got for Christmas. And obviously, you need to be drunk to do that. So. I don't know if one will get you there, but at least like one will get you like. Oh no, you, you can know. drink the whole. Yeah, it's not just one. It's oh, like, it's like a whole night. Yeah, like you get okay, a, because a I was like, for oh man, day. I feel like just one beer. Like I, we really should have gone all out with your one beer. No, but that is I'm gonna night. stick away from uh, hard liquor. So like I don't know a beer, 
couple beers, you know, not that big. Like earlier, so we're at the meteor. We're going to talk about, I want to hear about it, but I was here earlier. Oh, they got a shower here. Mm. I haven't taken a shower in five days. Fixed it. And uh, yeah, that was amazing. Then I just sat here for like three or four hours uploading uh, audio files to Ben to edit for us. But uh, um, Aaron Sims, is it Aaron? Aaron. Aunt Aaron. Yeah, it's Aaron. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I hate it when I second guess myself. Uh, he like just showed up, and so oh yeah, he yeah. comes by pretty often. Yeah, it was cool. We got, got to, to we got to chat with him for a little bit, uh, and I I drank a beer with him. So I was like, today will be my mulligan day. Oh uh, yeah, and and then won't drink. The so rest. I didn't crack you. He did. No, yeah, he did. I kind of already because you had mentioned, and I, I was like, this will you know it'll be good. Oh yeah, like the whole situation of the the meteor. Well, you, I, I, you said I'd like to buy you a drink. Oh, right. Yeah. So you knew it was coming. You knew. I yeah. knew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I like to drink. Yeah. No, it's nice. I, uh, I usually, on my work days, usually have like one drink. Sometimes it turns into two drinks. But Do they let you drink at work? Well, you know, it's like as my shift is closing. It's like I yeah. work essentially like in the morning it's a coffee shop or it feels like a coffee shop. Um, and then, you know, I'm doing bike things all day, working on bikes. And then course like as it goes on like people are showing up and having a beer and you did you see the kind of like i call it the peanut gallery but there's like a bar seating that kind of mm-hmm. looks down mm-hmm. to where i work and usually you know i'm the last guy there or, you know there's just a solo person so you know i'm working on a bike it really feels like the end of my day and people are drinking beers and like kind of watching talking to me and so it really feels like it transitions from like coffee shop in the morning do like bike shop and then as the sun goes down it's like oh now there's like some people bar. yeah people are it sounds like a bar the music is like a bar people talking like it's a bar yeah. drinking wine or you know mixed drinks or whatever the case is so usually like have that drink and like all right now i need to ride my bike home i can't have like two or three or <laughs> eventually like like are you going up to my house like are you going up towards bella vista how far away do you live <laughs> uh, it's it's a short commute it's like nine miles but it's kind of that perfect it's fine. It's just funny. <laughs> yeah, my dog. Dylan's uh, dog is rummaging. <laughs> yeah, she's checking for any type of uh, creatures that may be hidden in any of these boxes. She's a uh, part. Um, I think um, she doesn't look like it, but I think she has some type of like terrier in her mm. because she does like root around for like small creatures. Okay, and that's what. Anytime I like work down here, this is like overflow or like long term bikes that are sticking around for whatever reason. I rarely don't work down here, but if I work on my own bike, I'll bring her down here so she can hang out. Yeah, this I mean, this is a nice spot. You were apologizing for like the location, but I was actually thinking on the way here, one of the fun parts about podcasting in the manner that I do it is all the random places that I, I yeah. get to podcast. And I really, I started a ride with GPS file and I want to like mark all of them. And I think that'd be like a cool heat map of all the, all the places I've podcasted and like have images of all of them and stuff. So yeah. anyway, this one would be like, not quite the meteor, just like down the building and like specifically in the garage. It's better. Yeah. This is better than the meteor. Cause everybody goes a meteor, but like how many people get to hang out here? Yeah, with all the uh, extra booze, the Rafa van, some canyons over there. Yeah, what's up with that Rafa van? Well, Rafa's right here, their headquarters. So, all right, tell me what is going on with the Meteor. Like, I am familiar with it because of Austin. They have one in Austin. We're in the Bentonville location. I believe those are the only two Meteor Cafe locations. Is that? That's true. Okay. So, I mean, like, 
I'm peripherally aware of it through the cycling community, but it's a unique format. You got pizza, you got bikes, you got Rafa here. I mean, there's a lot going on. So do you want to like break down what is the meteor? Well, uh, I've worked for the meteor for six months. Um, decided to move back to Arkansas after being away for several years. And I was just kind of looking for a more like unique place to work. I kind of wanted to be just like involved with a, as much cycling as I could while I was here. And this just seemed like a unique spot. They essentially started in Austin, like you said. They branched out. They actually had the Meteor, an Arkansas location in Little Rock for a short period of time. But I'm not really sure the history on that one. But they just decided to close it, moved it here. Seems like a pretty good spot for, you know, just the community and everything that's going on here. You know, it's usually pretty busy in the mornings. You know, they do coffee and pastries and breakfast foods and they transition to like you know lunch dinner menu they also do mixed drinks and stuff like that and then literally where i can see people like making lattes like i'm working on bicycles like so it's just like everything smashed into one building but it's really nice because it's a kind of like really really small shop and i've worked in shops where i have like been one of like a handful of mechanics or i've been one of like 30 mechanics pretty big shops that have like over 100 employees and this one's nice because i work in like a very small crew right now we have three bike shop employees and the nice thing is like we're small enough and all of us are well versed enough we can handle anything that comes in um so as far as like the bike shop employee part of it i really enjoy it because like i just work with other really good guys and that's your main role here is oh yeah bike shop side i definitely would not be able to I mean, I could pour a beer. Yeah. I could do that. I try not to get involved in that, have them do that, but I could not do a latte. I could not really make you a mixed drink, but no. I can, you know, I can bleed the brakes and do all that kind of stuff. So that's nice. I work with uh, one other uh, guy here who's a ex cyclocross national champion. And then the other guy I work with has uh, raced for a long time and has hiked Everest before um, with his wife. And, you know, I'm just. They're bikepacking guy. <laughs> and, uh, you got to have the token bikepacking <laughs> yeah, guy now. You kind of well, do. Like if you want to be like a kind of more of a cutting edge, uh, cutting edge shop. But I mean, you know, everybody's doing gravel. Everybody's got road bikes. Everybody got mountain bikes. But, yeah. you know, having somebody that understands long expeditions on a bike, I mean, it's, it's useful, I would think. Yeah. And we definitely, like I've worked in this area before and I still have people like, oh, this is the shop you're working at. Cool. Like, I want to come to you. And a lot of the people that come here, they, like, come to, like, you know, like, oh, you're the mechanic who does this. Like, and so that's always nice where, like, they know Chris Drummond, who runs the bike shops. like, oh, yeah, like, you know Cyclocross. He does Enduro. Like, he knows, like, his skill set so well, people will want to come in and talk to him. And he right. teaches me things that, like, maybe I wouldn't, like, have thought or tried with bikepacking. But, like, for his skill sets, like, oh, you've really dig dug in real deep for this, like, this is knowledge I can bring to my world. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you have to be specialized now. There's so much information. You know, consumers are a lot more knowledgeable. So to have like a bike shop and, and be like, okay, well, we do it all. Mm, yeah, but do you like, do it well? <laughs> yeah, like, do you really, are you on the cutting edge of any of that? And like, to our like, the meteors kind of like tagline is uh, espresso, champagne, and chain lube. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if anyone wants to come into the shop and talk about chain lube for like two to three hours, like I can definitely do that, which is like an odd thing to really care about. But 
I have like a hot wax and ultrasonic cleaner back uh, behind you. Mm-hmm. We're down in the garage, not in like the main part of the meteor, but we're in the garage where we keep all the extra stuff um, and like taking care of a chain, taking care of bikes and very niche ways to make them work really well. I'm really into it. All right. Give us uh, give us like one of your favorite tips, like one of your favorite, I mean, whether it's chain lube or, or what. Oh, um, like how to maintain your bicycle. Yeah. One of your favorite like niche ways to like maintain, well, like chain lube would be a great example. Well, you said uh, you could talk for two and a half hours on it. How about two and a half minutes? <laughs> I would say if it's two and a half minutes, I just have to condense it down to, um, if you're going to pedal your bike for extended periods of time, think of the like one main exposed moving part on your bicycle. It's your chain. I think they've like clocked it at about 20,000 articulations per minute at 90 RPMs because you have like an inner and outer link. You have a pin, you have a roller on each side. Like a chain has a lot of moving parts, but it's fully exposed. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of potential for friction and people spend hundreds and thousands of dollars or like they really try and like dial in their bike, but then they just don't, they just let their chain like kind of go through the muck and like wear it out. Waxing is really nice in like areas like last race I did was through a desert and it was really nice because deserts are really great for like waxing and chain because it's dry, it dries out really quick. And so like taking care of that one exposed piece probably does tenfold more than what you could spend on like getting really nice bearings in some other part of your bike. As long as you put like decent care into that, they'll be fine. They're sealed, they're hidden, they're not exposed to the elements. But you can go ride one of these races where you get muck all over your chain and drivetrain. It's like if you protect it, take care of it, it can last a long time and also be real efficient. Yeah. Two minute condense. That's all I got. I like it. I mean, to tell you how to do it, I'll just send you like links or like, no, just give it to me. (laughs) Like come to the shop and I'll talk your ear off about it. That's that's exactly, you just sold me. Like you gave me the elevator pitch and now everybody listening like wants to come see you. Or like, oh shit, I want to learn more. I get, so a lot of people like to wear other drivetrains pretty quick. I get about 10,000 miles out of a chain. Oh shit. Yeah. How many miles are you putting in a year? Uh, probably only like 10, 12,000. I don't know. I don't always only. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> I know there's brag. people that do a lot more. Yeah. Like, uh, it's pretty solid though. Yeah. Like, uh, one guy I rode with during several gravel races last year, Rob Finnegan out of Nebraska, I believe. I think he ended up getting, he rode every single day, like every single day last year. He got like 21,000 miles. Yeah. And like, that would be like, oh yeah, that's a lot of miles. You know, <laughs> there's always someone who does way more than you do. Or, oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, you're in a very um, cycling centric area. Like, yeah. I mean, just driving around, everybody has bike racks on their car. You see bikes everywhere. There's bike infrastructure everywhere. There's, I mean, it's just crazy. It's like, it's amazing. Drive down, it. you're like, there's dirt, d- jump tracks there and there's trails there and there's a rad, you know, sidewalk. They have sidewalks here for people who don't know. They have jump features and stuff on their sidewalks. Not all of them, but some of them have like features yeah. on the sidewalk. Yeah. There's like a road, there's a sidewalk, there's a bike path, and then there's like jump park lines, mm-hmm. like all on going the same direction. And you know, like the bike path goes this way, the jump lines go this way, you know, the road goes this way. But it's like, yeah, when I go to work, I can, I probably have to take maybe like half a mile of single track trail if I'm taking the mostly direct route. But if I want to, I can turn that into like 50% single track or maybe 60% single track. 
Yeah. Um, you live in Bella Vista? Bella Vista, yeah, just a little north. It's like said sleepy nine town. miles, you said? Yeah. I know Bella. I own land. I owned a lot there. Ah, yeah. yeah. I, bought, I had to sell it in, after the divorce, but yeah, uh, yeah I owned a, spot. owned a lot. It backed up right to the uh, back 40. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was like right there. So I was going to build a single track, you know, going down. And it was right there at uh, Blowing Springs. It mm-hmm. was, so it was like a dope location because oh, yeah. it was like right where you could hike down to the top of Blowing Springs, a little waterfall and stuff. Beautiful. Um, it was pretty dope. But anyway, yeah. someone else is now here. They're building a house on it. Must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of like little spots of land that you can get up there. It's like, I don't know if you if you want to be in the center of things like Bell Vista doesn't have like city center type thing. Like there's a lot of trails. There's lots of like you know houses and stuff. But if you want to be in the middle of things, it's it's got, it's like a nice place to ride out of. And like, yeah, I, li- I would when I'm done with my day, I like to go back to somewhere where like, right. cool, I'm taking a step back from everything. Not with you. This is a little too busy for me. Like, yeah. Like specifically, like just <laughs> in the shop, it's like <laughs> there's constantly people and everything yeah. going on there. So at the end of my day, I'm like, nice. going to ride my bike home yeah. and very much relax. Yeah. Bella Vista is dope. Give me your like just history real quick. So you used to live here, then you moved away and then you moved back. Got a little of that in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll try to make it as well. It's not really easy to do quick because then you just like gloss over like all the reasons you were taken to these places. You were brought to them or attracted to them. But I moved to Northwest Arkansas in 2008 to go to college um, at the U of A. And like I was mostly a runner at the time or I got into running um, being in Northwest Arkansas and just really quickly found out like my body can't handle running as far as my mind wanted to go. Like it was always like, all right, your body's in shambles and you can't like walk correctly for like a week. And I was like, yeah, I just want to go further. And then quickly found out that. What, what, so what mileage were you at in your like running where you were kind of like, okay. I stopped at a hundred K for running. Whereas like, you know, that's like 12 miles, 15 miles of running. That's about as much as my body would allow me to do. And I could never seem to get over that hump. Yeah. My body would just be like, your got, hips, your ankles, your knees, something's yeah. going to give out. I tried to be a runner. I only got to eight miles. It was kind of, I mean, I was never much of a, oh, no, no. I did a, uh, I, I sell myself short. I completely forgot. I did the triple threat in Texas, um, which is like a, you do a mountain bike race the first day, second day is a 100-mile road, uh, and then third day is a half marathon trail run. So I've done a half, I've done a half trail run. Hell but yeah. yeah, I couldn't, I was miserable. Dude. Oh, it's, I had to get, they had to bring me a truck to like, and people like lifted me into the back of the truck. My legs were done. Yeah. Done. And like, that was the last time I rode. So <laughs> that was, <laughs> that's what I experienced. I kind of had my last big trail run and I'm pretty sure I limped for the last 20 miles of it. Yeah. It was just a really, really rough one. And, you know, you're once you like once you hit that limit you decide i want to go further how do i do that at the time i was riding bikes as like cross training just getting something else in there right and then i ended up deciding okay maybe this riding thing is what i'm into um but we definitely got onto a tangent there oh it's i i want to know all that stuff so that was around 2008 whenever you um 2008 kind of doing all different activities you could do running and cycling and you know trying to just be outside 
slowly I probably transitioned to riding only about the time when I stopped running and I started riding gravel. I would say that's somewhere around like 2014, 15. I was working at a bike shop, my first bike shop I ever worked at. Um, it was in Fayetteville and a friend of mine, I, we had just finished working on his bike. I didn't do it. I was like a beginner mechanic at the time, finished his bike, gave it to him. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go do this 200 mile race in Kansas. It's really tough. You probably couldn't do it. Oh, it wasn't really like you couldn't do it, but it was just like, oh yeah, you, you have to be real prepared to do this. Yeah, yeah. It and, was like a cautionary thing. Yeah. Not like, like a, yeah, you probably, this is going to be a tough one. But that didn't sit well with you. Well, it was just like, I, I love a tough thing. Yeah. Like this does not seem like it's in my wheelhouse. I want to go maybe try it. And he told me that like the transfer date was that was the last day so i'd have to like find a transfer to get someone's like number card or whatever mm-hmm. it was called at the time so i got that i found someone online on a message board that had a number that wanted to give it up i bought a gravel bike from my shop the next day and i built it i had about 29 days i think i looked looked back at 29 days from when i got that gravel bike to when i did the race and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Like just so at that time, the DK 200 is, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was one where anytime I've had an opportunity to like overreach what I think I can actually succeed at is right where I like to be. Like, I don't know if I can achieve this. Yeah. Cool. That's right where I want to be. Something that I could fail at. Did you figure that out at that race or did you already kind of know it? Like with running, you were like, I never really, did you ever find that limit? Because it was like your mind wants to. There's definitely been times where I've ridden a bike and failed, but my, something gave up on my body, but not catastrophically or something where I'm limping for a week after it or something like that. How running was where it was like, I don't know how to train better for this with riding. It was like, oh, I definitely overreached, but if I come back to it with a little bit more training, it seemed like it always worked out pretty well. Or like, I need to bring more jackets or I need to, <laughs> you know, obviously like be more prepared. It's always a learning uh, opportunity. Like failure is a opportunity to learn and, and do better, you know, and yeah. all assets, all facets of life. <clears throat> so what year was that that you did that? Uh, the 200? What is it called now? I um, Unbound. Unbound. Yeah. yeah. And that's really. They both changed their name the same year. And I'm like, mid you know, <laughs> yeah, and I I try to be uh, respectful to that to try to just use the name that they've chosen for it, right? Yeah, whatever names you know, the most respectful that I could possibly use. But yeah, at the time that one was Dirty Kanza, now Unbound, and I think that was 2016. Okay, yeah. So uh, we were talking about what brought you back to because you said you went away, and then I'm curious what drew you back. Well, um, or maybe I, we could talk about even what drew you away. <laughs> well, I, I have lived in this general area of the mid South and there are some really amazing things about this specific area. Um, but there's, you don't know what you haven't experienced. So at the time I had an opportunity, um, to move out to Utah, Salt Lake city. Oh, so I went out there, definitely enjoyed, uh, a good portion of what Utah have had to offer met some really great friends out there um one of them being tim tate um who just moved to kind of western colorado but he put on utah mixed epic i lived there for a number of months ended up 
that was right before I was going to do uh, Tour Divide in 2019. And Tour Divide, training for it and all that kind of stuff, it, I feel like for a lot of people it makes them feel very transient or just they have this one goal, nothing else matters. So when I decided to move to Utah, it was like, oh, I'm going to train for and do this race. Anything that happens after it, I'm probably going to be somewhat of a changed person. You know, it does affect people. So if I move back here or I stayed there or moved somewhere else, I was just kind of open to those possibilities. Hmm. And at the time, I really didn't feel too connected with Utah. I think living in Salt Lake City proper, you are kind of in a concrete like fishbowl. Like you're surrounded by streets and streets and streets, like miles of the big Mormon mall. Yeah. Like you can look from either end of it and just like grid roads, really easy to find your way around there. Um, and then the mountains were accessible, but when they're covered in snow, you can't really ride it. You have to like have a snow sport that yeah. you're into or drive down to Moab every weekend and try and ride down there. Yeah. Um, so I came from an area like here where everything's accessible at 365 days a year. Even if a trail is muddy, you can go ride you know, gravel roads or you can do something. Um, yeah, even most of the trails are open whenever it's wet because it's so rocky here. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely some trails where I have done it when there's flood warnings and <laughs> you're just riding on rocks, so it doesn't really matter. You don't end up with any dirt yeah. or mud collecting on you. have like dirt and water on your bike, but nothing's like clinging to your tires. Yeah, man, we're going to get along. You're sp speaking like a true cyclist. You went to Utah and you're like, wait, I got to pick up another sport when I can't ride my bike. You're like, oh, yeah. you know what? Or Utah's great, but yeah. I gotta ride my bike 365. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I wasn't into putting my bike on a vehicle and driving three or four hours so I could ride for three or four hours so I could drive for three or four hours. And some people seem happy to do that. Yeah. Um, or just kind of put it up. Or See, I'm in that camp because I live in a place where you have to drive 10 hours to drive somewhere good. So I'm like, oh, man, I would definitely, you know. But it's all a, if I can move to an area, you know. Yeah. It's it just whatever you want out of your day-to-day -day life. I think it's important to place yourself in a spot where you can do that. Yeah. And right now I feel like I've placed myself back into a place where I can wake up early and ride trail or I can ride gravel. I can go to work and do the same thing as I leave on my day off. I can also do that. And it doesn't have to be this big show to get out there or, Oh, these months you can't do that. Like there's never enough snow or ice here. I say that there's been a few snowstorms <laughs> in Northwest Arkansas that have been pretty significant, but for the most part, you don't have to worry about it. Um, Can I ask you like, oh, what were you going to say? You wanted to. Oh, no, I was just getting back to left Utah, but yeah, this can is, maybe we can go tangents around. as yeah. much as possible. Yeah, we can yeah. just stitch this whole story back I into a chronological a order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are, you, are you single? Are you, do you have a partner? Uh, I do not have a partner at the moment now. Yeah. What are the things in your life that you're prioritizing? I, um, yeah, it's always interesting to hear, um, when, when you have an opportunity to like, okay, what are the things that are important to me and how am I going to prioritize them? And it'd be in a place that facilitates those, which it sounds like is what, what you're doing. Well, out of all the places I've lived, I do like, the immediacy of being able to go and do what you enjoy. If you live in a place where doing the thing you enjoy requires 
you do travel to it or yes, I can do this on the weekends, but where I live is because I have to work here or because I have family or whatever the case may be. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have started reclaiming parts of their life that they've lost during COVID because everyone's working remote or choosing not to work at a place. They're making all these decisions because they realize their life is maybe more important than anything else they're trying to obtain. Yeah. Um, I think things that are important to me is just being able to go and do what I enjoy in a regular way. It's not an event that I have to go acquire. Also, as uh, we can kind of hear rooting around us, I have a dog that I've had for about eight years and this is a really dog friendly area. I taught my dog to trail run while I was running and she runs while I'm mountain biking and she doesn't do the like 20 and 30 mile runs that I used to do with her. Um, but happy to do like five and 10 mile runs, which are really nice and just kind of, you know, makes you feel like connected and like you're being wholesome in a way. Yeah. If that makes sense. So like, Oh yeah, definitely makes sense. Like, but I mean, we could even pinpoint that a little bit more. Like what are the things that are, well, yeah, what like motivates you? You touched on like bigger events. You're like, it doesn't need to be a bigger event. Are you motivated to like be here and to train for stuff or like, uh, I don't know, you just love riding your bike every day? <laughs> like what what is it that like brings you, you like joy, you know? I think riding a bike makes me feel more in touch with myself in a lot of ways. Mental health, happiness. I do feel like I have better access to my thoughts and feelings and emotions and I can process things that are going on in my life where I don't really have the time to like think and feel how I feel. Whenever I go ride a bike, it's usually when I start having those internal like dialogues with myself where I'm like, this is how you feel. This is, you know, this is a safe place for me whenever I'm outside and exercising on a bike, seeing pretty things like getting to a bridge and just stopping and eating, you know, candy corn or something like Edibles. that. Yeah. Whatever, <laughs> whatever it is that like opens your mind. And I realized over time, if I don't spend time outside getting, I, I hate to call it exercise because it feels like there's a task, <laughs> but using my body, moving through space, yeah. being outside, seeing things. I don't really care if a ride is really, really hard or if it's pretty relaxed. Sometimes I do get the urge to stretch my legs and ride harder, but just being outside and riding whatever pace that someone wants to ride with me or whatever amount of effort it takes to get up some climb. We'll say riding in Arkansas out of all the places that I've lived probably without any type of training program um, just makes me the strongest just because <laughs> there's a million small hills here. It feels really good to get to the top of them and like carry your speed up to the top. And you just get to do that a hundred times during every ride. Yeah, so it's insane. You just do not, intervals all day long and it feels right. You never, never get to somewhere really, really high or somewhere super low. There are some longer climbs, but longer climbs here are nothing compared to. Yeah. Colorado or yeah. even Utah. Or, yeah. 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 But it's, a, it's, yeah, they're just steep and they're never ending. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you get to the top of one. You crash down into the valley. You're already going back up. Oh, we're, uh, another one. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like an MC Escher kind of like thing. You you always feel like you're going up. You always feel like you're going down. And when you look, you're just like, I think I'm doing both at the same time. <laughs>
Yeah, that's a good way to put it. What do you think about Brett Stepanek's uh, Doom? Have you have you seen that the Doom route? Like, I mean, I know you've like looked. You know, how familiar are you with that route? Um, I am familiar with the Ozark National Forest. That's probably where I explored gravel riding when I first started riding. That was where I went to go play and get ten thousand feet per hundred miles or more. It yeah. really isn't hard to just make any route, draw any squiggly line in that area. And you're getting that type of elevation. Yeah. And uh, I told I Andrew, it's like littered with gravel roads. Like you oh. can't, you, the way you say it's like, you can just make any crazy route you want. Yeah. And 90% of it's going to be gravel. Yeah. You're really just trying to choose like, okay, when am I going to come out of this and get to a convenience store that has hours between like six and, yeah. you know, 5 p.m. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, we talked about that with the Doom Loop is how um, limited resupply and cell service and just people and everything. Like you're yeah. out there, you got to really like plan all your shit before you go. Yeah, it's, it's also got a if you were to just get on a slightly more main road there's a lot of helpful people out there not that i really ever intend on relying on people's generosity to like make sure if i didn't plan correctly well i'm not going to die or something like that but uh, this area is also almost annoyingly like if you're on the side of the road and you're not moving and maybe you're fiddling with something on your bike and you're anywhere where someone will drive by, you gotta have you have to hide or something like that because you'll have like a line of people stopping asking you yeah. if you're okay. And so it's I will a, echo that as I was. Um, I've spent a lot of time in in the Ozarks and around this area, and I mean it's it's nothing new. But um, when I was driving around, I was just noticing like everybody waved on the roads mm-hmm. and um, everywhere you went, everybody's friendly. And actually, it reminds me of Texas quite a bit, like. People are, it's weird. Like you get on the internet and everybody hates each other. But whenever you go to the grocery store or a gas station, like everybody's like so kind and nice to each other and so helpful, you know, but stay off the internet, boys, boys and girls. Yeah. Internet can be a rough place. Usually oh, around here. Only follow bikes or death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a rough place out there. You only want to be on one. You only want to be on bikes or death. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I've experienced that a lot. People are very generous and kind and they'll invite you into your home. I think only one time while I was here this summer, I ran out of water. I was like, oh no, I've got several liters. I'll be fine. And just got really hot and didn't deviate. I was like, I'll find a creek somewhere and filter some water. And then I just rolled up on some people checking their mail. Just, hey, you know, now that I see you out here, would you would you happen to have like a faucet or a spigot anywhere? I could just get a bottle of water and like, no, come inside. We've got some ice water. Like we'll fill up your bottles, drink as much as you want. You're like, thank you. Like, I do appreciate that. But if you just had a spigot, like that's all I really need. And they're very adamant. Come into the house. You're getting ice water. You look hot. I appreciate that. There was a participant at the first East Texas showdown that, um, his name was Nathan. I hope I got that right. He, Got off course, got lost. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but <clears throat> essentially knocked on this old house. It was this old couple. The house was built on the 18 somethings. Like it was a very old house. They gave him a full tour. They made him a spaghetti dinner. Oh yeah. They, pr- <laughs> they printed him out map quest directions to get back to where he was going. You know, I mean, it's just like, yeah. Pu- I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I've lived in Texas my whole life. Um, I've never knocked on many doors here, but just like driving around, like people are. Oh, and I wanted to mention that uh, Brett, one of the things that he said about his ride was no assholes. 
you know, no asshole drivers, nobody treating them like a, a jerk, you know, out there. So yeah, really out there. I mean, there's a lot of outdoor things to do. No one really is trying to get somewhere. There are yeah. no straight routes to get anywhere in that zone. So not surprising anyone out there. They're just like, oh, you're out here too. That's I'm glad to see somebody. Yeah, it's um, so we drove from Andrew Honorma's cabin to Oark and Oark Cafe in Jasper, which is an hour drive. And we saw four cars in an hour. Yeah. And whenever you get, and that's on a main road. Yeah. So whenever you get on those gravel roads, sayonara. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I spent, so I, I tracked down Brett. Um, I got here Thursday night late or Thursday, Friday. God, I don't remember, but um, he was on his last day. I got here late, woke up at Andrew's place and uh, got on got on the road by like 8.30. First, I almost ran out of gas because, again, there's no resources out here. And I no, was like... You got to plan out I your I didn't plan, I, but I made it to Turner... Turner... Turner Bin. Turner Bin. Oh, yeah. it's a great place. Great sandwiches, too. I got one of their uh, chop, chop barbecue. Barbecue. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were a lifesaver. I'm sure they were laughing at me. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, they have... Uh, wasn't it one pump out front two pumps maybe something I think like just one yeah, yeah just but one. i mean i think you go on either side of it but there's just there's just one pump yeah they do um they do day floats out of there on the mulberry river it's really pretty area i've spent a lot of time in this area but when the uh pandemic hit i was currently like i didn't know i didn't had given up my lease and i had been away from where i was living for about two months and I knew I had to uh, pick up my dog because my parents were watching it in uh, Oklahoma. Went by there, grabbed my dog, and they were saying, like, shelter in place, but don't be near anyone who's 65 years or older from my parents were. And so my, like, where do I shelter in place? I actually drove down to the Mulberry River, and there's a lot of, like, primitive camping along it. Mm-hmm. And I <clears throat> camped out for two weeks, probably five miles away from Turner Bend. Oh, cool. On the Mulberry River. Yeah. Living in a truck down by the <laughs> river for a couple of weeks just because like no one really knew what to do. Yeah. And I was like, this is pretty safe. I can camp out here. I built a couple of wheels for a friend That's and awesome. just hung out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing here. Like it's, it's like, oh man, you could almost do that anywhere. Like you just drive into the Ozarks. You're not going to see anybody. You'll find like a campsite. Yeah. You spend two weeks there. And you'll probably never see anybody. You might see like a couple of cars drive by. It's insane. I would hear ATVs or motorcycles driving on a road that was not visible for where I was camping a handful of times a day other than that. And I wasn't deep. I wasn't on some unnavigable road. I just like pulled off because I knew there was a spot over there. Like I had it in my head. Oh, well, I can just go over there. Access to water, creek, like all these things. And I, you know, kind of improved the primitive campsite just a little bit and yeah. it was good. I used to feel bad about talking so much about Arkansas because as I was saying, I think before we started recording, I've been interested in Arkansas for like a decade. And especially when I started the podcast, I even like own the do- domain, like Arkansas bikepacking.com and oh, nice. the Instagram and, and all like, I was like, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm like going to embed myself in, in Arkansas and, 
Uh, I used to feel bad about it, but at this point, everybody knows. Like, yeah, it's out of the bag. Yeah, it's all, so like I don't feel as bad talking about it. But that the area that we're talking about, like around Oark and Jasper, and like I mean, down there in the Ozarks, it's just it's beautiful, man. It's like it's like oh, I was thinking it's like stepping back in time. Yeah. It really is. That's exactly the way. Your cell phone doesn't work. You're lucky if you have internet. Yeah. You know, if you want to know the weather, you got to go outside and stick your stick your finger in the air, you yeah. know, and check the rock. You, you go to yeah, you check the rock. You go to the Turner Bin and you know, Bill and Joe are there drinking a coffee and they were there. I don't know what their that's their names, probably they were Bill and Joe. And they go there every day at six o'clock and they, you know, shoot the shit and whatever. And it's mm-hmm. uh it's like a step back in time and um it's something I like we were talking about, this is too busy for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find that happy medium. See where, see where we land. Yeah. I think this area from the places I've lived meets all of those requirements and makes me happy to be in that area. And also because I'm a bike mechanic, there's one part of my life where I need to make some amount of a living. And here is a place where I can continue to do bike shop life and enjoy that feel happy with the work that I get to do being good at it and still not feel like I have to live in a place that is like uncomfortable to live in or I don't have space because I'm in some tiny apartment somewhere in a major city where my dog does not have a yard to run around in or I can't just leave my house after I get back from work and take my dog on a five mile mountain bike rip and I don't even have to put her on a leash because I'm not going to see anyone for the most part on the trail. You're so rich and uh, like natural, like a natural world out here, but also like man-made trails. And I mean, oh, yeah. it's rich in a lot of like the, the dog parks. You don't need to make a lot of money here. You know, no. it feels like it was like if you just squeak by a good living, like the living is good. Yeah. You know, the living's good. Just yeah. find a way to live here and you'll be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're into this, you know, but I mean, we were talking about... It's not much, but it's honest work. <laughs> it's honest work. Well, we were talking about like uh, the Crystal Bridges um, oh, Art Museum. Which, beautiful. Yeah, I was just telling Brett and Mitch about about that. It's a world-class, it's like one of the oh, yeah. top museums in the world yes. here. Yes. It's it's dope. I've been twice. It's, and there's mountain bike trails surrounding it. That's what I was telling. Like you there's a mountain bike entrance. That leads to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's on my commute into work. It's like, hey, you want to take a left to go into the museum entrance? Like Yeah. If I show up early, I guess I could. And they really don't mind if you walk in with like cycling stuff on. There's Oh, they're probably used to it. Yeah, they're like, Yeah, don't touch the art, but you're good. I was excited because I was reading a, an Edward Curtis book, um, Knights of the Shadow Catcher. And um, I walked in, and one of the first things they had was uh, some Edward Curtis uh, pictures um, on on the wall. So that was kind of cool. Let's talk. I don't screw Arkansas. Nobody, nobody listen to what we just said. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Texas. Yeah. Uh, Texas is definitely where it's at. That's where everybody should move. Yeah. Uh, move the, to Austin. The East. No. East Texas. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Everybody's already moving there too, man. Yeah. Austin's like blowing up. Yeah. But uh, I saw you uh, sign up for the East Texas Showdown Absolutely. on the wait list. Yeah. I'm, you know, just put my card in for that one. Honestly, I should have signed up when it first became available. But, you know, you snooze, you wait list. That's fine. I'm sure there's a couple of people that might change their mind from now till then. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, change my mind what? 
uh, someone might change their mind about doing the race or oh, whatever yeah, the yeah. case may be. Yeah, um, I mean, I think with COVID and everything... I think that's the reason why I delay on signing up for anything right now, just because I feel like we're not out of the thick of it or we're not out of plans will change. Right. And during this whole two year saga of this, all I've become accepting of is, you know, just wherever, whatever makes sense in the moment or wherever you should go, um, just do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely hard to, hard to plan. So I don't, I don't blame you, but I hope, so you weren't, you didn't, I, I asked you to do a podcast. You didn't just sign up to suck up to me. No. Um, Be honest, was really, Dylan. No, it was really just, uh, I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, I want to, I do want to go do that ride. I like to go experience new things. And I realized if someone like you is making a route in an area, that's the best way I could tour the area. That's the best way I could experience yeah. a zone. Um, kind of the same way with like Andrew's Doom route. I've ridden a lot in that area, but there's no reason to not go do that route because I'm going to find something I absolutely have not ridden or been on. And even if I have been on some of that route before in my own rides, like it'll be a fun ride regardless. Fun. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on your Type hardiness, <laughs> how hard you push yourself, the hardiness. Yeah. Uh, I think the... Me and Andrew did a 200 mile ride uh, called the Ozark Odyssey. Um, remember that? Yeah, and I remember at the end of it, he said, "This is the longest I've ever ridden with someone," and you didn't complain at all. And I was like, <laughs> "No, I, I like doing this. Like, I really enjoy this." And that's what I was thinking the whole time, like we were doing it. You know, something is hard about it or difficult, but if you kind of reserve a little bit of your energy or like you don't push yourself to a limit where if something goes wrong, you're going to be really upset. Like you leave room to just enjoy it the whole time. And yeah, on that route, him saying like, I oh, didn't complain at all. It's like, this is where I like to be. Even if it's maybe difficult on the body or maybe I've drank like three gallons of water in half of a day. We did it on the hottest day in Arkansas, <laughs> oh I think gosh. on record that year. And I think every time we stopped, I bought a bag of ice and I just, stuffed it all around my body because when it gets hot here it's too humid to sweat and anything evaporate you just you're just that where made of salt comes from (laughs) Uh, something like that um there's a lot of little allusions to that but i think the only time i've ever had somewhat of a nickname was someone just oh yeah you work really hard so we'll we'll call you salty (laughs) um and uh my last name is Morton, and uh, I had a couple oh, of people okay. like, "Are you related? Are you, you have any affiliation the with like Morton Salt?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, Mineral Empire. That's me. <laughs> you got it." <laughs> so I thought that would just be. I drive but, this truck by choice. <laughs> yeah, my other truck is uh, I don't know what a when salt truck. I don't know what a. I don't know. You could allude to salt to there, but yeah, it's not really that clever. But you know, you have to have some name. You gotta have a name. Gotta have a name. You gotta have a name. Yeah. Are you gonna do the East Texas Showdown single speed if you get in? Yeah, I saw something on Instagram briefly about single speed. Yeah. Um, at this point, I have gone back and forth a lot between riding my geared bikes and single speed bikes. And something I really, really enjoy about having like a well functioning bike is the bike disappears underneath you. Like you just put your effort into it and you go forward, you explore the area. 
I like being a mechanic and taking care of mechanical things because I don't want to ever have to think about my bike. Mm -hmm. I just want it to function, even if it's not the best. Like there's something that maybe I make it a little bit heavier or I, you know, reduce something out of it. But as long as it's something that can disappear underneath me and I'm just allowed to experience my day, that's ideal. Yeah. Um, and I rode a lot with a whole bunch of friends. A who, good way to think about that. I'm sorry to, but, um, you know, when we watch a movie, if it's edited well, you won't notice the edits. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? If your bike is dialed well, you can just like enjoy the ride. You're not like focusing on the edits or whatever. Yeah. It's something that single speed even brings out a little bit more. What's your dog's name? <laughs> oh, so. Oso, hey, what are you doing? You're really digging. I mean, behind that bench, a trying lot. to record a professional podcast here. Yeah, um, sorry, my dog is uh, choosing. I told to... someone earlier I was going to make you famous. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the dog. That was a joke. No, yeah, <laughs> no, you. Oh, um, all the fame bikes or death can bring. Oh, let it rain Doritos down on you or Cheetos. That's what uh, Brett was telling me a story about. Uh, he does like a Dorito shower or Cheeto shower on the tour. Of, I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of good snacks you'll find out on the, the tour divide route. If you're, if you're not in the front, if you're just following people, like people uh, shake loose food and yeah. like little odds and ends thing. You like find and, a cell phone. <sighs> well, actually I lost my wallet in the great basin and someone found that behind me, um, like a full day behind me. And um, I don't know. This is the wallet that I lost. Whoa. So in the Great Basin, I don't know if you've ever been to the Great Basin in Wyoming, um, but there are about one trillion objects that look like a small brown wallet. Yeah. Um, but in the failing light, a gentleman named Jeff, um, which that was his like third Tour de Vie run, I believe, just saw my wallet and picked it up, put it in his back pocket and somehow got a hold of him a- and just found it. And you're like, yeah, that Doritos, find some Skittles at the top of a ridge somewhere. And everyone at that point, any days into that, you're just like, oh, food on the ground? No problem. Just eat it right off the ground. You don't care. Yeah. You're in a That's just different trail way. magic. Oh, it's, yeah, it's trail magic. Someone, did you leave this here for me? It's like, no, nah, I dropped it, but I'm glad you ate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you wonder if, uh, you just have to wonder if there's any THC in those gummies that you're picking up. You just yeah. never know. I mean, at Could this point, a, any a, state a fun... that you go through might have Colorado gummies uh, <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. Uh, so single speed versus geared. Um, I, I, I actually don't know what you mainly ride. Um, <clears throat> honestly, right now I mainly ride a single speed bike, but that's because I would say, I don't know if I'm trying to transition to that. I just feel like it's one less thing that I notice when I'm riding and I do not mind pressing a really heavy gear or spinning out and going a little bit slower than I might be able to. And as long as I'm not really bothering anyone else that I'm riding with by kind of having a little bit of a wider variable of speed sometimes going a little bit fast on the climb sometimes i'm not going as fast as i could on the like slight distance around here um as long as i'm not bothering anyone by that variation i prefer to ride single speed right now just because it feels good you feel connected with everything you're doing but you don't feel like you're being connected through a bicycle you feel like you're just having a more direct route into that yeah kind of enjoyment that you have yeah and honestly Riding with a geared bike whenever it's really, really good, you don't usually have any problem there. I want to check and see what my dog's eating right now. Yeah, he's eating something. Hey, dog. Hey. Is that a good chain link fence that you're eating? 
What are you doing over there? Do you, uh, oh, so. do you want to get another drink? Yeah. Pause for a quick second if that works for you. I can put her in the back of my I'm a professional. Don't don't pay attention to all that button pushing you just saw. <laughs> we it's just all, re- uh, behind the curtain. Oh yeah, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> uh, we just re-upped our drinks. Cheers. Oh yeah. Salut. Yeah. Mulligan. Mulligan. Mulligan, yeah, day. Mulligan day. I don't even count. Yeah, it's that liquor that'll really get you. Yeah, um, they make a French seventy-five up there. That one is kind of one. Ride home. Two of those, probably staying at work until someone's heading my way. Hospital. Yeah, not quite hospital, but definitely, I don't really feel like riding, especially in the winter when it's cold and you like, get chilly. Well, welcome to the podcast, uh, Dylan. Thank you for being here. You were highly requested. You know that. Um, you, were, you were like... I feel like I have like a lot of friends who are friendly with me and helpful but as far as i have a really great story to tell or like a great accomplishment that people need to be aware of i'm i don't think i don't i don't really see myself as that yeah but also that's my perception of me other yeah. people have different perceptions aaron or wait not aaron it's davis sims we just yeah. verified sorry davis slash aaron we talked about this it's your instagram name it's ar sims it's it's confusing it's my fault but Davis, uh, I was telling him I was interviewing you. He's like, dude, that guy's so strong. <laughs> I was like, what What should I ask him? Like, you know, if you were going to, he's like, dude, I don't know. He's just so strong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've talked to some other people and like, it is, it's interesting how, um, and it's why I started a podcast. I was talking to Brett about this earlier today that, and Brett's a good example. And maybe Brett is like the triple crown single speech champion. Maybe you're not, but like, it doesn't matter. Like there's really rad people doing cool shit. You won Utah mixed epic, which I want to talk to you about a little bit. And you know, you, you've done some cool shit and it's interesting how, how few of these stories that we're hearing. And it's why I wanted to start a podcast because I got into bike packing and I was like, why is nobody talking to these people? You know, like why is, I mean, and some of them get a lot of exposure. Absolutely. But then what what I'm finding is that there's a lot of, like, if you're not out self-promoting, you know, Brett isn't, I don't think you are too much. I mean, it's just like, you're just doing your thing Yeah. and, you know, you share some shit on social media or whatever, but you're not like, you know, trying to, you know, really promote yourself as anything other, you know, anything. Well, you're. You're definitely looking at a group of people that are choosing to go be by themselves for a long time in the middle of nowhere. They're yeah. they're probably not the most uh, you know Social. extroverted types. Yeah, yeah. Usually, yeah. whenever I finish a big race and someone wants to you know congratulate you know kind of like ah oh, yeah I'm just like whoa this is my first person in a while you gotta give me a minute <laughs> like I've said thank you to cashiers once a day for the past week or so like, yeah that's about it so I don't know if I'm ready for anyone to like pop champagne and spray that in my face or anything totally with you man I was uh I mean just on this trip I've been living in my van for like five days now and uh, I mean I've had an interaction with Brett and Andrew but like I don't know they're just dirtbag bikepackers too so um it's not really like going out into society and whenever i came to the meteor today i like sat in my van for a while i was like okay 
got to interact yourself with, up got to like, like <laughs> interact with people like you know like make sure you don't have shit in your beard and, like, you're like you're going back to society yeah get did ready. you go did you go for the shower first and I then interact yeah, oh, so yeah. Like, okay gotta gotta get Dude, cleaned would, up yeah pre- be presentable look in a mirror make sure you know you're tracking on all it's so awkward i walked in and i was like um so i don't know if this was an awkward question or a normal question but Dylan said I could take a shower here. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I was trying to give you directions because there are definitely people that travel and come to Northwest Arkansas that pop in, take a shower. You know, they know the script, their own, you know, have their own stuff and town, stuff like that. Yeah. It's no big deal. And, you know, it's kind of the whole idea. We want people to visit this place because there's probably something you know, for them, whether you're getting a coffee or a drink or you need some bike work, um, but just being a meeting place, a place that people want to show up to. There's a lot of people that pop in, so it's not an awkward thing. It's <laughs> it's pretty normal. Most yeah. of the time, it's just like, oh, yeah, just, you know, wipe That's up the perfect. dirt from your shoes or whatever afterwards. That's dope, man. I mean, yeah. it <clears throat> turned out to be like the perfect, uh, like, landing spot for me to take a shower, drink some coffee, upload a shit ton of audio files from Brett. He was so funny, man. He like, we turn off the mic. He was like, oh, I forgot a story. Yeah. And then he like, we recorded. He's like, oh shit, I forgot a story. Mm-hmm. And then he, I shit you not, we were there four different audio recordings in one go. And then he calls me like at midnight. He's like, oh, I forgot a story. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went and like caught up with him today. So I sent, uh, I sent uh, Ben, uh, I don't even know, like 20 audio files. <laughs> So you're going to have to figure this one out. Good luck. Yeah, good Bye. luck. Oh, what I wanted to say was um, we just did like a survey for um, the podcast, always obviously trying to improve. And it's a weird thing, right? You just throw it out there and I'm like, okay, well, I can look at ratings and I can look at like this stuff. But like, you know, it's like I, I really want to know more like, you know, what are you enjoying? You know, what parts of the podcast do you enjoy? And like, what would you like to hear more about? And one of the things that people said, and it was echoed many, many times is, one thing that people think we do well, or maybe I do well, is talk to like normal, regular people who just like enjoy and ride for the passion of riding and mm-hmm. bring some happiness. And, you know, it's like a, it, we all ride for many different reasons. So, you know, yeah. um, but being like a normal person who prioritizes riding and like figures out a way to, you know, just live a simplistic, happy life there's value there. And I think a lot of people really are interested in, in knowing how can I live a lifestyle more in accordance with the, the values that I have, you know, the things that bring me happiness and stuff. And so, you know, without, you know, winning tour divide or doing epic accomplishments, you know, just like being able to go and enjoy uh, riding bikes and go on bikepacking trips and go on little mini adventures and stuff like people really, you know, value that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't sell yourself too short. Well, yeah, people want to hear that story. I hopefully all I can do is continue a vicious cycle that I feel like I am in. I hear someone's story. I hear someone's, it's not always the accomplishment winning a race doesn't necessarily make me, want to go win a race or doesn't make me want to go do a route. It's hearing someone's interesting story or getting to experience life at that pace or see an area. I think most often whenever I go do a race, I have no intention. I don't think I've ever had an intention of winning a race or 
maybe doing a well is something I'm aware that I could do, but that being the goal has never been it. Even I think every race that I've done or happened to have won, the first thing that came was enjoy this race. And I know you've interviewed several people that I've spent time with and some of the ones who probably have the most accolades or have won the most races or do really well. I think the first thing that they enjoy, they might also enjoy winning. They might also enjoy being able to make it a lifestyle where they can be successful enough to just do that. But I think they enjoy riding a lot Yeah, under, not necessarily underneath it or on top of it or, but they enjoy riding a bike. Yeah. Um, and I think that is the most incredible part about some people's ability to ride. You think they're digging really, really deep or they're suffering or they're doing all these other things. And I don't find any type of like romanticism in you know, watching someone have a terrible time, but come victorious at the end of a race or something like that. I see, you know, someone who would rather be on their bike riding and enjoying it and they happen to be really good. And I mean, there's hormones and there's all these other things. If you're happy doing something, you're going to continue doing it and enjoy it and have all these good endorphins that are just like, yeah, you may be in pain. You might have like some knee pain or some Achilles pain or your back hurts or you're uncomfortable. But if you are truly enjoying it, there's nothing that'll stop you. Do you feel like you fall into that camp? Oh yeah. I know as long as I keep myself well fed, (laughs) <laughs> and you don't I, get hangry <laughs> i i don't you get won't hangry. like me when i'm hungry i definitely i i would say it's like food insecurity if i start noticing i'm low on food i'll be for no reason i'll feel colder i'll feel maybe i need to go to sleep or maybe i have like some nagging injuries that are cropping up or maybe i'm not enjoying this because i'm going to run out of food before i can get it or i don't have the food i want to eat right now I don't think I get angry in general or really on a ride, but there's this level of like heightened sensitivity to the things that are happening to you. And there's a lot of uncomfortable things that happen while bikepacking. And I would say uncomfortable. If you're experiencing pain, that's a whole different thing. But being uncomfortable is it's normal. Like you're covered in dirt. Maybe you're sleepy. Maybe you like have inflammation, but just being a little uncomfortable is perfectly normal. Don't worry about it. Who were you thinking of that rides? Was it like a positive mental attitude or with like a positive, just like being happy to be on their bike and being out there? Um, I mean, you just when you spent time with Andrew Anima, he loves riding a bike. Mm-hmm. There are other things that he enjoys. He loves being good at it and succeeding at it as well. I was kind of going back through some of the interviews I had seen you do. And I'd spent a lot of time with Bailey Newbury when he was in Oklahoma and he loves riding a bike. I've ridden bikes with him and riding for over a full day's worth of riding. And in the middle of the night, there's some roadkill in the middle of the trail and he just bunny hops it because that's fun to him. <laughs> and, you know, like freaks out everyone who's riding with him because like, oh, no, he's going to run into it. Oh, he's bunny hopping it. You know, <laughs> he's had at any moment, he's ready to pull out some BMX skill and wall ride something or just have fun. He's having fun mm-hmm. on his bike. I got to live with Lael and Rue in Alaska during the pandemic for I think it was about six months that I was there and I'd been with her more and 
she does a lot of she's interviewed with you before but living with her and riding with her and working on their bikes spending time with them like this person more than anything else enjoys riding a bike mm-hmm. and i think that makes someone very powerful on a bike i couldn't agree more and i um the person I was thinking of was Lael. She was the first oh, yeah. time that when I interviewed her uh, is episode 10 and it was here in Bentonville, Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, just by happenstance, we were both here at the same time and she said yes. Um, so, but one of the things that I was trying to get is like, I just assumed that she had this like super competitive, like, dark side that would like go into competitive mode, you know, and she would just like, I'm going to eat these people. You know, I don't know. Like I just, feel like, what is that edge that this yeah. person has? Like this person just really loves riding a bike. That's it. That's what like, their like, edge is. They like it more than you. Yes. And I didn't, and they have like, obviously do it a lot. Very athletic. Yeah. Have drive, determination, knowledge, all those skills. things. But it's like, I don't know. I, I, we've probably all read books about like athletics and stuff. And it's like, what, what is the thing that gives you the edge? Like, yeah. We, we can all train and we can all be like, you know, I don't know. Some of us are more like gifted or whatever, but I really think that um, your enjoyment of what you're doing has to have like a huge impact on, especially like an endurance effort because, you know, if you're doing something short, you're like, okay, I can endure it for like a short amount of time. Yeah. But if you're like going out for two or three weeks, you have to really like it yes. or it's going to wear you down. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no one's that tough. Yeah, and if you are unhappy, like, watch your knee start to fail on you. Right. Like, my stomach's upset because I am upset. Yes. There's all these things. And also, jokingly, I've written with people and, like, mentioned this. Uh, I think it's Marie Kondo. You know, whenever you're trying to go through all the stuff that you own and if it brings you joy, you know, you keep it. And if oh. it doesn't, you get rid of it. Yeah. Like, when you're eating food, when you're riding a bike, if the speed that you're riding is too fast and you don't enjoy it, well, like if you're not going to go the rest of these 100 or 200 miles at this speed that you don't enjoy and like feel good about it, unless, you know, getting there 30 minutes earlier is going to be making you that much happier. <laughs> and same thing with food. Like people just like, well, I'm going to eat all these gels back to back to back. That's going to, you know, this is what I want. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'd like oatmeal cream pie. Maybe you want some corn nuts. <laughs> maybe this is what's going to make you happy or your stomach happy. Again, but you're prioritizing happiness. Yeah. Like you're prioritizing like, okay, is that 30 minutes going to make me happier? If it is, you should do it. If it isn't, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. And that's kind of looking at the, I guess the statistics of it or maybe the, uh, the math of it. But I definitely still think if you are happy, if there's something you're doing that's making you happy, you're probably faster. If that is your goal. Maybe you're like just happier and you're going the same speed, but you're happier and I think that's where I want, I want to find I want to find somebody who's motiv- motivated by anger or yeah, something just, like some deep-rooted childhood problems. Yeah. I mean, just kidding. I'm sure I don't want to find that. <laughs> well, I'm sure we all I'm have sure our that person own problems. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, in every aspect of like someone's or at some point in someone's life, they probably had like a time that they're upset and they're riding to like run away from something or just, you know, escape something that's frustrating. And I mean, I've done that as well, but the reason why I keep getting on a bike and keep wanting to do races and keep wanting to explore is like, Oh, that sounds like a pretty place to ride. And that seems like a place I haven't seen. I want to be smiling at the start line, finish line and throughout the whole thing. I want to check that place out. Yeah. So you said you were going to be, uh, whenever I asked you to be on the podcast, you gave me a unique response. 
said uh, something along the lines of, well, first you, uh, you agreed, but you were like, you've interviewed a lot of my friends and something along the lines of, I've always um, kind of captured them in a, in a way that is recognizable to you. You're like, oh yeah, that's my friend. Yeah. Um, mostly, I'm trying to think of the first interview that I can remember. I think I was working in Alaska and I turned your interview on and you were interviewing uh, Bailey. Mm. And I was listening to that and I was like, it sounds either you're editing or the questions you're asking or how they're responding to you. They feel comfortable with you. But I'm like, you, you're talking to Bailey, not, oh yeah, I know you're interviewing someone that I know. And yes, that is what they would say. But I feel like you're, a, you're able to get a good reflection out of people, which if you've ever heard your own voice, people listening on an audio recording or you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you're like, Oh God, that's, <laughs> that's what I looked like. Like this whole time. I was just a little nervous because I have to accept if I feel like you get a good reflection out of people that if I hear myself on this and I, you know, recognize what you reflect back in my own voice or in my own story, I'm like, well, I mean, to be fair, he's been accurate on all the other ones that I've <laughs> listened to. So this is probably who I am. <laughs> I could have an off night, though. You could. I mean, if I, I don't like it, I'll be like, oh, I was off night. Was yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, I haven't drank. Well, I don't know what to say. Uh, I've eight days without drinking. I, I'm so fucked up right now. <laughs> He's out of control, <laughs> yeah, guys. I'm out of, I'm he hasn't a, had a drink for eight beer days. Beer and a quarter in, and this is all going to shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's. A, I, I appreciate the compliment. Uh, it's kind of a self-serving uh, question to ask, but well, it was a unique response and one that one that I appreciated. Well, usually. Because I don't, a lot, I don't know you. I nope. don't know. I don't know a lot of these people I go and interview. I mean, kind of know of. Yeah. I met you before. It's like yeah. I, you know, but it's like vicarious. Like it's different than same. just sitting down and like let's chat. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get to really know get each in other. there. Let's let me ask some hard ones. What makes you happy? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Uh, bikes. What are you running away from? Oh, uh, yeah. Bikes. Hopefully. No, not bikes. No. <laughs> running. <laughs> no. Yeah, You're no. running away from running. <laughs> I, I, at this point. You're cycling if, away from running. <laughs> right. If someone asked me to go on a five-mile run, I'd be like, eh, it's going to take me a while to work up to that, but I don't really want to get into that world again. Yeah. I can I can just feel the neuropathy in my feet just acting up. Yeah. It's fun to just talk to people. Um, my, my goal is to get out of the way as much as possible and, you know, allow people to be themselves. And I don't... I don't have a agenda. I don't have a, you know, a, a goal in mind. You know, it's just like, I just want to talk and get to know people. Yeah. And, uh, it's a, it's a great community. I mean, the more I do this, the more I'm, I mean, you know, you as an example, um, living a purposeful life, you found something that brings you joy and happiness. Well, we just talked about how happy you are to ride and how that's your main prerogative whenever you do a ride or whether you do a race and you've, tried to build a life that is, you know, makes that sustainable and, and you can do it often. Yeah. There's a lot of value in that, you yeah. know, like when I look around and it's something that I'm more and more aware of as I get older is how few people are doing what they love. How mm -hmm. few people are living like a purposeful life that on a daily basis, they can wrench themselves through simple things that make them happy. Yeah. And they're not chasing a bigger house or the coolest car or a watch or, you know, whatever. But I mean, so many people are just caught in chasing things that don't matter to be able to like break things down to like, okay, what does it make? What is it that makes me happy? What is it yeah. that enriches me? And how can I do more of that? To me, that's like 
don't know, close to the secret of life. I mean, I don't like, I don't, what else are we here to do other than to like maximize our lives, like be good people to like leave something behind? I, I don't know, you know, I mean, yeah. we have like X amount of time a day in your life in yeah. general. If you are doing things that you don't enjoy most of the time, so you can have a small sliver of time where you enjoy it, that's you've got your equation wrong. You've got it flipped somehow. Yeah, it's a bad math problem. If you're yeah. working all year so you can take a week vacation in Cabo, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, man, there's a whole world out there. You it's know? like you can ride to Cabo. <laughs> yeah. Did you know you could ride to Cabo I mean, uh, on the Baja? Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, when I worked in Alaska. My manager uh, of the bike the bicycle shop in Anchorage, um, Nicholas Garman, he oh. helped make that route. And that's just, oh yeah, you can ride there. Yeah. If I ever need help to figure out that route. Tell that story, actually. That's pretty, uh, how did you wind up living with Leo and Rue in Alaska during the pandemic? That's wild. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a kind of a, I guess it gets back to previously, you asked me where I've been and how did I get back yeah. here? And I'll try to do that. In a short but not so short story. Just bring it on, man. Bring it on. Um, I'm just going to drink my beer. All right. <laughs> um, I was about to go do Tour Divide. And before that was the Unbound XL race. And I had been getting a, a little bit of a reputation in Arkansas with my friends that if you want to go anywhere on gravel, Dylan probably has a route. And I saw that Leo had Instagram kind of like, oh, yeah, thinking of riding from Colorado um, and riding to the race in Kansas. And I don't know what her route was at the time or what she had planned. I think she was going to use um, the little Trans Am route because it's mostly road just like. What year? This was uh, like, it's like 2018 or? Uh, it was 2019, early 2019. <clears throat> yeah. um, at the time I was living in Utah and I was kind of planning on, okay, I, need, I don't really want to live in Utah. I need to go somewhere else. And I was kind of dead set on doing Tour Divide. So I knew that was going to be a big thing. And I was like, well, why don't I just go ahead and skip out a little bit early? I'll make a route from Colorado to Kansas. I love looking at maps. I'd ridden to races. Did you ride with her? Yeah. So I made the route. You're the guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I believe we talked about you on episode, like the first Probably. Have you listened to that podcast? Yeah. Did we talk about you? Do you remember? Um, Funnily enough, I heard my name mentioned in several of your podcasts from different (laughs) riders. And I think that was the first thing I ever said to you. I was like, hey, I hear my name in your podcast several times. I just... Thought I should say hello. <laughs> I'm, like, the, yeah, I'm, that's right. I'm this I person that. that's yeah. been mentioned a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So that was like a really out of the blue thing. And it's nice it, to formally have it on the podcast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just mentioned a couple of times in passing. Um, but I had a friend who tagged me in it and he he was from Arkansas and he's like, Oh yeah, Dylan's probably got a route. And unbeknownst to either of them, I was already making a route, just kind of, oh, what would it look like? And so Kansas is not very hard to like sketch out a route, but I was basically just trying to keep it on dirt roads. And then I was like, Hey, um, I'm doing Tour divide. I'm doing that race. I basically don't want to be in Utah anymore and I don't really have anything better to do. Uh, if you want any company or not, here's a route. And, um, Layla's pretty quick. Just like, yeah, sure. Um, if you want to ride, go for it. She's very like accommodating to just like whatever you want to do. Yeah, sure. And, uh, um, she's so, I mean, I, saying her praises before, but I mean, the way she's treated me as some, you know, number 10 on the podcast, nobody knew who I was, you know, like very early on, just some random dude. She's like, yeah, no hesitation. 
you, some random guy makes a route. Like, yeah, sure. I'm totally down for that. You know, like she's, I'm sure if she didn't like me, it would have been real easy for her to just ride away too. (laughs) Like that wouldn't have been a problem. (laughs) Um, yeah, just, no, I remember she, I remember it because it stood out. Like she said good things about it. I mean, it was like kind of a cool thing that you're like, yeah, this guy just like made her out and we like rode together and yeah. Yeah. Groovy. Um, so showed up in Colorado. Um, I think that was like two weeks before True Divide or three weeks before True Divide. Started in um, Louisville, Colorado. And it was, uh, I made a route that was 666 miles. It got altered, so it didn't end up being that full uh, oh, exact man. round number that I like really kind of worked on. Um, but ended up riding all the way across, hung out with her and Rue, became pretty quick friends. They're really great people and they kind of had like a real tight, close relationship. Obviously they're married now. And I was just like, felt really nice to be able to hang out with them. Did the race. I ended up finishing like an hour behind her in that race or 30 minutes behind them or behind her. So we just ended up spending a lot of time together then go up to Tour Divide. I think the first night we ended up camping around the same time. And that was a huge push for me. It's probably further than <laughs> it should have gone on the first day. And then, you know, she's off and never see her again. And then I, um, after Tour Divide, I ended up moving to Colorado before I actually um, left to ride across uh, Colorado and Kansas to that race. I stopped in a bike shop called Wheat Ridge Cyclery in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Yeah. And I just showed up on my True Divide bike and I was like, hey, I'm a guy. I might end up wanting to live in Colorado after all this. <laughs> and a couple of the guys there, um, they kind of sized me up and they said, yeah, you know, send us your resume. When you're done with that race, we usually hire in the summer. So come on down. Little did I know that would basically after True Divide landed at that bike shop and lived in Colorado and made obviously friends. Wait, so just were you on the race? No, okay. that was you were so on we your were hanging bike. out in Colorado uh-huh. okay. before riding to Kansas. And I, I was like, like during oh, your race, is- you just like pop in. You're like, hey, um, we're <laughs> done with this. Yeah. yeah, that was a, that would have been a little bit off the route. Um, That'd been cool though, <laughs> but it was. I, at the time, I knew I didn't want to live in Utah anymore. Um, I had moved out of Arkansas and I had no plans of moving back. Um, even though this area was really nice, I was like, no, way too soon. I don't want to move back to somewhere that I know really well. I want to continue exploring different areas. I want to find somewhere that I like and maybe want to live. It doesn't have to be permanent, but I think you have to explore a lot of different areas to know what you do and do not enjoy, what you find important. So that transported me, got me through you know, a few races, gained some really great friends, some great bikepacking experience. And I ended up landing in Colorado. I was in Colorado for a while. Uh, once again, Lael's like, oh, hey, I'm thinking I'm going to do this uh, Atlas Mountain race. And I was like, absolutely. Sounds great. Let's go to Morocco. <laughs> um, I don't think she got, she did not get the opportunity to go. She had a lot of kind of other things that she was supposed to do. Um, and that race happened right, like, days before the pandemic hit in the I US. Remember. Yeah. yeah. So I got back from that. I went straight to doing um, gravel camps in Arizona. I had given up my lease that I had um, for some time in Colorado. And that was, we've transported a couple of, or a year into the future. So pandemic hit in 2020, early 2020. February 2020. Yeah. yeah so that's when I, I remember hearing about it. I mean, it feels like a century ago, um, but early 2020, only a couple of years ago now. But I was guiding in Arizona. I had given up my lease in Colorado and... Guiding what? 
Uh, I was working for uh, um, the cyclist menu. Um, so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, God, what's her name? Heidi. Heidi and, and Z. Z. Xander. Yeah. Yeah. Xander. Yeah. 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 I went to other uh, gra- uh, Spirit World 100 in yeah. uh, somewhere in Arizona. That little Patagonia. town. Patagonia. It is yeah, Patagonia. It is okay. Patagonia. Arizona. I, I thought that. And I was like, oh, that's not Patagonia. <laughs> oh, it is Patagonia. <laughs> yeah. Not not maybe not, maybe not, not the one you're thinking no, of, no, but yeah, it is yeah. another one that is I haven't been to the other Patagonia, but I know that Patagonia is also, as far as I'm aware, the best Patagonia I know. It's like an African safari almost. Whenever I rode through it, it was just like the plains of Africa. I was waiting for like a zebra and a oh. lion to like come running out, you know? It's an incredible zone. Yeah. Um, they have something really special down there. But I was down there, pandemic hits, don't really know where to go. I come back to Arkansas because for the most part, you know, go home was the cue everyone was getting. Um, Live by the Mulberry River for two weeks. That's what they told everybody to do. They're like, go (laughs) Go by the river. river. Yeah. (laughs) Had a cooler, had some ice, had some food. It just started fires. I had, nope, didn't have code. I didn't have much. I had like the back of my truck that I slept out of and I had my dog. I don't know. Uh, Similar but different. We had the the Texas snowstorm, you know, this oh, right, that yeah. everybody saw the main national news because Texas got snow. Yeah, uh, but I mean, shit, was, you know, was, we didn't have you know rough. you it you know utilities rough. for a week. Yeah, uh, but it was fun, like you know, because you're prepared. You can like throw some shit, all your yeah. rehydrated meals in your stove and some fire, like whatever you need. Like you can just throw it in your truck mm-hmm. and you go, you're fine. It's it was just, the same way. I was it like, just stays I, in my truck at this point. I went it in my garage. I was like, we're camping. Mm-hmm. We're inside, but we're camping. You know, it was yeah. good. It was, it was kind of fun. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, I mean, obviously a lot of, you know, shitty stuff happened, but um, it is nice to be prepared when shit hits the fan and kind of be like, okay, well, I can just like dip out. Yeah, and bikepacking and traveling and doing all that kind of stuff makes you very comfortable with that mindset or that way of living. Where yeah, it's, it's like, like you don't need all the things that you're accustomed to. Oh, yeah. You can be very comfortable with a lot less. 100%. Um, that's, that's a great aspect of it. Yeah, and you can be happy with that, like... Oh, the perspective. It's like you can put, I mean, you're, I mean, equal to a homeless person, right? Like, you put all your stuff on a bike. It's not, I mean, it's by choice, but, like, you're like... Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's not equal to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is definitely a. There's a lot more struggles that end up getting you to be uh, houseless, yeah. unhomed, unhomed, unhoused. Yeah, it, the the nice part actually comes in to make a, a strong distinction is that you choose to go and live with less, and it you find a lot of peace and happiness there. And then you go back into your real world and you're more satisfied because you realize that these things aren't as valuable as maybe you thought that they were. But it is nice to come home to a warm home yeah. and the Netflix or whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? Those are very nice to have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't live in a tent full time. <laughs> right. No. Um, so... I guess we're getting us to Alaska and uh, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, I'm no. still with you. I'm still no, with you. It's hard for me to because just like I was trying to describe it. Oh wait, let me go back. Let me go forward in time. Oh wait, this is an important plot piece for this story. I'm with you, man. It's we're, hard. We're making it. Um, but pandemic hits. I'm in Arkansas with my dog. I decide to moonlight at a bike shop here just in off hours because I don't really know what to do with myself. I might as well work, I suppose, and 
bikes were just starting to like they thought it was going to dip and it was like no we need people to just build bikes as fast as you can and i was like well i know how to mechanic the shop was familiar with me they're just like whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it here are the keys just work like we trust you it was people that knew me pretty well so i did that for a few weeks and then i remember it because it was honestly um i don't know did you get to talk to rue much when you interviewed lael um, you did a joint one with it. I did. Yeah. yeah. So the way that Rue communicates is the best. She like she has a very good plan in her head. She's very sweet. Um, she calls. It's like, hey, you know, see how you're doing? What's up? Kind of lays it out. Thinking about going to Alaska. If you'd like to go there, I think uh, we can figure all that out. Seems like a good place. We're going up there this period of time. And uh, I think at that point in time, I had been going from a series of yeses, just yeah, seems like a good idea, or I don't really understand it, but just say yes, and you can go do it. Um, so she and Lael had just talked about it and just said, "Hey, I'd like you to come up there with us." Why? Um, Why you? Like I'm a mechanic, so wait, during okay, that time. Yeah. I had been kind of working on their bike. No offense, that like question comes out oh, kind no. of like... that's uh, like, why, yeah, why this person? Um, like, because they thought about it, they talked about it, Rue had a plan, they called yeah. you, like, I'm just curious. Yeah, um, it was really just like, we had, like, developed a pretty good friendship. Um, I had started kind of working on their bikes when I was at uh, the cyclist menu, and I don't know if you're aware of the strains of being a professional cyclist that you don't have like team bikes or team mechanic. But I think some of the biggest struggles with professional cyclists is especially one that has to travel and do big races. They don't have a home base or a home mechanic. And one thing I started kind of mentioning to them, I would, and I've done it to several like professional athletes that have worked on their bikes. I'm like, can I work on your bike? Like you ride this as your job. And there are some very sometimes I've used the word tragic things going on with your bike, that if this is your job, you deserve to have your vehicle for doing your job work as good as possible, or at least better than what's going on right now. Yeah. Maybe I only have a few hours, or maybe I'm not here, I can't order the parts, or you have to use these sponsorship parts or something like that. And I was just, can I please work on your bike? Like, There's some things I can make it a lot better. Let me do this to it. Um, so we'd kind of also developed that relationship, and they... They had a uh, bike shop there, the bicycle shop in Anchorage, Alaska. It's been around since 72, 74, something like that. Wow. And they said, you can work here. They're already willing to hire you. They hire a lot of people during the summer season. They're going up there to ride. I can go up there, you know, is going to live with them and help work on their bikes and just, you know, kind of be another person on their team of helping, you know, things happen. So when um, she did every road in Alaska, you were fixing her bike. It was kind of fun because they would go off and go do a ride and they'd bring the bikes back. And I was like, oh, those poor <laughs> <Lale>. bikes. Those <laughs> poor bikes. Um, so, you know, I would take like a day off somewhere in the week when they got back and kind of overhaul the bikes and, you know, send them back out. Or a lot of companies are willing to like, yeah, do you want to try these handlebars? Do you want to try this drivetrain? And, you know, sponsors like all these things, but who's going to put it together and make it functional. You just go find some bike shop and have them put it together. And if your job is living on your bike, that doesn't always go very well. Even putting some parts together in a normal way, but to know how to make a bike worthy of 
surviving bikepacking sometimes ends up being a whole nother thing. Yeah. Bikes fail a lot when you're bikepacking. And so they gave some, you, it, they gave you a couch and you gave them mechanics. Yeah. And it was also like a really good friendship and oh, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, no one really knew what to do. So it's kind of like everyone wanted to have their inner circle, which I feel like we had, you know, gotten pretty close and spent some time together. And so it's like, yeah, also I want to go to Alaska. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I just when, booked plane tickets to Alaska. It's a great, where are you uh, going? Uh, so Pepper Cook. Yes. She's um, randomly coming to the East. Well, I mean, I did invite her, but I, <laughs> I don't know how she I knew about it. I, I, like, I didn't expect her to say yes. Like she yeah. had like, uh, you know, posted something and she's like, oh man, that looks awesome. I'm like love to have you come. She, okay. I'm there. You yeah. know, like, I'm like, just she like knows Lail. How to say yes. Just, she knows yep. how to say yes. So uh, she's like, well, you should come to Anchorage. I'm like, well, I guess I have to now. Yeah. Uh, don't twist my arm with yeah. the good time. So, <laughs> yeah, bought tickets. Say. Yeah, uh, July 10th through 11th. Headed to, I've never been to Alaska. Uh, definitely a bucket list item for me. Super excited to go up there. So, yeah, no doubt. Like, Leon Rue say, hey, come to Alaska. You say yes. You say yes. <laughs> yeah. And these are things where I think in some parts of my life, I just say, I don't understand moving to a place. Like, I have to figure that out. And at that point in my life, I was very much willing to trust other people. And I still trust people, but I was just willing to say yes to something I don't understand, but I don't have to understand it to just go experience it. And if you don't like it, you can just say no and you can leave. Like you're not stuck there. Um, But I really enjoyed it. I honestly, if it did not get cold and dark there, I'd probably live up there. Yeah. Um, uh, It's good during the summer, but during the winter, it's like, woo. Yeah. I mean, they loved a lot during the winter, too. So, yeah. Oh, Uh, now they're in Tucson. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they just follow the good time. But yeah, I was up in Alaska and got to ride a whole bunch up there. Um, Made a lot of really good friends while I was up there. Spent, I did not have a scheduled day off the whole time I worked up there. That's just because that's what you do in Alaska. It's uh, like a manic type of area in that time of year because it doesn't get dark. I don't remember it being nighttime for months just because you have to sleep at some point. And I don't have any trouble sleeping, but you're probably going to fall asleep before it gets dark. Right. So and you're you probably going to see it. Yeah. You just yeah. like it's only a couple hours that it's kind of getting dim or three hours for months. And so, yeah, I remember the first week after our like two week quarantine after at that point in time in Alaska, if you flew up there, you quarantined for two weeks. And then we went to go for a ride after that. And I remember as it was getting dark, the first night that I rode through the night there, it was starting to get dark and it's like, okay, you got, you have to put on your lights and, you know, get ready for nighttime. <laughs> you, nighttime's coming. Yeah. And right when I felt like, okay, nighttime's about to happen. It just started getting brighter for some reason. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is great. I I think I'm going to be into this yeah. because you do not, your body will feel tired, but your brain never feels like it needs to sleep. Looking forward to experiencing that because that's the time of year that I'm going yeah. is when it's going to be like 20 hours of daylight or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. And uh, I've yeah, never experienced that. So it's going to be weird like 11 o'clock at night when you're used to like mentally shutting down. You're just like, well, I mean... You want to go do something? <laughs> I would equate it to, um, not that anyone necessarily has experienced this. Um, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you've ever left a bar when it's daylight, like you've been there so long, or you've come out of a party and 
oh, it's, oh, it's daylight. That's what it feels like when it gets really late there because you feel like you shouldn't be out. It should be late. Yeah. Like you're in trouble somehow. <laughs> but at the same time, it's not dark because you've you just carried on to the next day. Yeah. So how'd you leave? When when did you leave? Um, so I worked with uh, Pepper at the bicycle shop. Oh, that and, was the bike yeah. shop you worked yeah, at? Yeah, same oh, bike oh, shop. Oh. Yeah. Um, I know it through her. She was in shipping and receiving yeah. during quarantine. I remember. I yeah. Um, she was, uh, she was, she worked on like the oh, sales no, that side. Was Swift, Swift Industries. It's Swift. She was, sorry. Well, um, yeah, well, she's at the bicycle shop. She kind of worked on the sales side. She got there before me. And I remember as the year went on, we were like, yeah, we're leaving. You know, we're going to get out of Alaska before it gets dark and cold. And I think my deadline was September 1st. Like, that's when I'm leaving. I'm not going to stick around for the bad times. Mm-hmm. And um, she was convinced, yeah, I'm going to stay. It, as it came to that day, she's going to stay. So I'm kind of curious how that whole experience went. I want to ask her. Yeah. Probably lots of good questions. Yeah, yeah. Now she- you know, for people who don't know that don't follow her on Instagram, like she was just, um, she does some night watch at some tower and looks for like bears. Yeah. Got to watch out for polar bears and uh, watch out for bears. And honestly, moose more when you're there. Yeah. Um, when you're, you'll probably go for, you'll take a mountain bike maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll take go ride. She says. I, I assume my chumba still a tie. You know, I got 2.6 inch tires and front oh, yeah. suspension on there right now. That's oh, that's kinda, perfect. Yeah. That's what I rode. Um, so you can go ride. Two of my favorite things was getting off work. We go ride Kincaid, um, which is local mountain bike trail, um, riding it down. No, I'm going to look at what she sent me. Go oh, ahead. She probably said Kincaid. Um, I'm wondering if then, it's the same. And then, uh, and she has more experience with it uh, for sure um, than I had my limited time there. And then there's also... Um, there's a race called the Kenai 250. Um, so the Kenai 250 is a 250 mile mountain bike and you like traverse some mountain bike trails, you get on a road, you traverse some mountain bike trails, but doing those are very accessible from Anchorage and some of the prettiest mountains. And as long as it's not overgrown that time of year, because Plants also grow at an incredible rate there. Oh, but, if you yeah. give them sunshine all right. the time, yeah, they explode. It's pretty incredible. Um, but if you can do any of those, that'd be great. And then if the most beautiful mountain I've seen in my life, if you go look at Denali, you can go do the Denali Park Road. Oh, really? And Denali Highway, which is just um, east of there. Also beautiful. And you can do that in like a two to three day trip if you just do out and back on it. Um, and then I had the opportunity of riding from north to south in Alaska on a gravel oh, the bike. The one road? Yeah. The, the one road? The road. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love navigating around here. <laughs> navigating is like a very important part of your uh, skill set. But doing that route, just, just go south. I talked to Alana Parent, Alana mm-hmm. Parent. Um, it's been a little she while ago. She also worked at the bicycle shop. She did? Yeah. That, that was the bicycle shop? Yeah. So you, you, you like met her? Yeah, yeah, I worked with her for okay. six months. Well, I didn't know if like you were there at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Man, what a small bikepacking world. Everyone who it. lives in Alaska, not everyone, but for the most part, yeah. they live in Anchorage. No, I remember interviewing her and like, you know, I, I think I asked her something about navigating. She's like, um, there's only one road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just rode it and then rode it back. <laughs> yeah. But I remember talking about it, it's like you can just turn that part of your brain off and mm. 
just ride, which I guess is like a different way, like a, a kind of a Zen way to, to do it. Yeah. You know, if you're talking about like not having to worry about your bike, you mm-hmm. know, no, no like mental energy expended on, you know, is your bike performing the way it should? You don't have to worry about if you're on the right road. You have to worry about if someone's going to run you off the road or not. Or a moose. That's what she talked about as a moose was the biggest I thing wasn't that really freaked into. out by bears because for the most part, as long as it's not a grizzly, they don't want to have anything to do with you. I mean, they might be aggressive in some situations that people put them into aggressive spots. But the moose are way too big. They are bigger than I can. Every time I saw one, they were always bigger than I remembered. Mm. Um, I felt like I could ride underneath them. And sometimes I felt like I was about to. <laughs> but they are also some city moose, especially very calm, could ride right past them on a bicycle. Once you start getting a little bit out of town or you meet the wrong one because kind of the more wild ones get pushed out further as more and more moose are in town, but they're aggressive. And when they kind of post up, show that they're going to charge you, you respect it a lot. You hold your bike above your head and make a lot of noise. You get big, you yell, you let them know that you're there, get a timber bell. Those are always helpful. Okay, Uh, They ring the whole time. Um, I feel like that was almost currency at the bike shops. People, do you have a timber bell? Yes, we have timber bells. It's okay <laughs> to come in. Yeah. Like you can get other accessories here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've never seen a moose in person. I've only seen them. Yeah. On the internet, but they, yeah. I mean, I know they're like eight feet high at the shoulder and I mean, that's at the shoulder Yeah. and then you got your head and the antlers. I mean, I don't know, 12 feet up there. They're big. And I've seen a ton of videos where they're charging people. Yeah. They're very, yeah. I don't know from experience, but I know from the internet, which is basically the same thing. Yeah. They are they got really aggressive. Yeah. Um, also, you'll notice that they are very docile in a lot of situations, and they're real goofy. Um, a but lot- as soon it has to do with the time of year, like if they're in the rut, if they're mating, maybe. I think it's how... A lot of not that I'm a moose expert, but I think it's also what situation moose you find expert them. Dylan. Yeah. Please tell us. That's one of my few uh, titles, moose expert. I'll take that. Um, they but, come into the meteor. They're like, yes, I have questions about the moose. Yeah. The oh, Arkansas Dylan. moose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hopefully, you don't need any. Um, but I feel like it. It does matter how what situation you find them in, how you approach them. I have definitely seen them from 200 yards away, and I was like, this moose does not like me. It hates me right now. And I've also basically ran a bicycle into one and I was just, oh, sorry. Excuse me, man. Um, pardon me. I'm just, and you know, if they have a calf, that's, that's another thing you should be aware of. Very aware of. Yeah. My strategy will be to do whatever Pepper says. Yeah. That's good and um, if there's a moose, I'll be putting her between the moose and I, and then I'll be fine. I mean, you guys probably about the same height, so you can just like we are the you can same be height. Two, hot, once, two bikes, two humans. You can yeah. be a very large, scary yeah, anti moose object. We should we should join forces. Voltron she, she's style. Not, yeah, she's not my enemy. She's my friend. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna moose up on those moose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want a moose? We can we can get moosey with it. I mean, her job also seems to be yeah. watching out for large predator animals. I, I'm I'm watched her life from afar i met her once um another person who's just kind of like finding happiness where it is and i don't want to say chasing it because i think that 
you know, she's, she's doing the things that make her happy. I don't think she's like chasing it, but it, yeah. it's, it's involved moving, you know, quite a bit like you have and seeing a lot of different areas and she's settled in Alaska, which I think is interesting. Now she's a paramedic. She's like on bear watch and getting, did you see, uh, that big ass fucking vehicle that she rode in to get picked up from, uh, her bear watch station land mover. I'm not, I'm sure it's some giant type of vehicle, giant yeah. type of vehicle. That's like, and she's like, just getting a ride. I mean, it's just a totally wild. I, I messaged her. I was like, I feel like you live on Mars and I live on earth. Like, yeah. And, and I think that's almost accurate. You yeah. know, it's like almost a whole different world. Uh, another couple of our coworkers while we were both working there, while I was working there, um, one of the guys who worked at the bike shop, uh, he and his wife worked in Antarctica. She did solar panels. He did hazardous wastes, but they were telling me, you know, you come up on a boat and then you get onto like this land mover vehicle, which is this incredible, crazy, multi-wheeled, all-terrain Mars rover looking giant contraption of a vehicle like monster truck on Mars. Yeah, (laughs) something like that, like huge balloon tires and it like stuff like that. You realize, oh, I feel like I'm on a different planet, but there are places on Earth that you can go that are such incredible extremes and you carve out this little little life, whatever it may be, because there's some reason to be there. Research, whatever the case may be in Antarctica, checking out the penguins. Or are there penguins in Antarctica? Has to be. Well, I know there's penguins on one side or not the other. Haven't been there. Um, hopefully they have penguins there. What else? We, um, we're we only two hours in. Um, <sighs> that is two hours. Yeah, that's that's two. That we need to go for at least three. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, I wanted to actually, you live in Arkansas. We've hyped up Arkansas. We did. We talk about Arkansas a lot on this podcast because I... I mean, actually, we unhyped it up. Don't move here. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. We hyped it and then we unhyped it. Yeah. So we've done both. Now we're now we're like Zen. Mm-hmm. Utah makes epic. You talked about your boy Ten Tate, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Tate, Tim Tate, Tim Tate. Mm-hmm. You won uh, this year's. Well, I guess last year's technically last Utah year's makes epic. Epic. And Brett said you called it a master class in bikepacking. Yeah. Um, so I thought instead of talking about. You also did an ITT on the high country. And I mean, there's a lot we could talk about bikepacking, but I thought let's mix it up and, and talk about the mix epic. I'm glad they used Masterclass. I think I used that a few times. Tim Tate, I met him in Utah. I was riding a loaded, fully rigid mountain bike up a road because that was the only thing that was cleared of snow. And I roll up on a guy, he's riding a fully rigid mountain bike. And I rolled up to him and I was like, hey, I'm uh, Dylan. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, also we're going to be friends. <laughs> There's no one else out here doing this. Uh, and we became friends. He was training for the American Trail Race, which is a 5,000-mile race across the U.S. I think it's the longest bikepacking race yep. that exists right yeah. now. Originally developed by Billy Rice, right? That sounds right. Yeah. I believe so. He has been on the, He was episode number two of the podcast. He actually That's lives it? in my hometown. It's oh, weird. weird. Yeah, Billy Rice. Uh, anyway, first person to yo-yo the Tour Divide, and then the next year he did it with his 16-year-old daughter on a tandem. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. See, if, if you think you're anything incredible, just hear stories like that. Oh, yeah, 16-year-old's done it yeah. <laughs> on a tandem. <laughs> well, apparently I was talking to uh, Brett, and the record is with a 16-year-old, but there's some drama with that. 
Oh, there's always drama. He's, Try not to get involved. He took his brother's bike. Yeah. His brother's what? Yeah. I don't know. He went into a hotel, got his brother's bike, and oh, changed vehicles, changed bikes. Yeah, Ooh. on the route. But he's still like he's like he finished the ride. He didn't finish the race, which is accurate. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, the rules to finish the race. I think there's a very good point for having strict rules for certain things, um, and then there's also a reason for someone had an accomplishment, and in, that doesn't dilute it. No matter what, how you want to categorize it or asterisks or whatever, like this thing happened, and it is incredible. I agree. We don't have to think anything past that. I agree. Uh, where were Utah oh, McSepic? Yeah. Tim Tate. Tim Tate. So I ended up riding with him. He was obviously training for a very long race. I was training for Tour Divide at the time. Got to know him really well. And he is quite a route maker and also bike packer. He has some incredible skills. He's very methodical and he really thinks things out. He's very smart when he rides a bike. And 2020, two years ago at this point, I did his first iteration of Utah Mixed Epic. He had been telling me about it, and it was a different route than we did last year. Um, but I went to go do that, and I got eaten up. I thought, I've got some good skills. I've been training in you know a lot of different places. I thought I'd be pretty good at it. This was the year before I won. But back up and say what the Utah Mixtepic is, Epic is real quick. <laughs> I do need to give some backstory. Utah Mixtepic, um, like you said, it's a relatively new race. Twenty twenty was the first year. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I don't think even. I mean, I, I've like followed him on Instagram. I see the stuff, but I don't know that much about the actual route itself. Yeah, uh, Tim, he puts information out there, but he's not. He's not trying to get a whole bunch of people out on his route. He obviously wants people to do it, but I think if you get too many people out on a route, on a route like that, you've got, you're probably pulling people in that maybe shouldn't be out on the route. Because it's just so difficult? It's difficult, yeah. And I felt like I knew what I was getting into, but I obviously did not. But the route the first year was from Salt Lake City to St. George. Um, so oh, my grandfather lived in St. George. It's a good place. Yeah, I was there when I was 16. I remember doing kickflip ollies in his front yard. <laughs> <Anyway>. Yeah. <laughs> um, also kind of a strange land. Like you feel like it kind of pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. But anyways, it was, I think that year it was a thousand miles, maybe a little bit less. Um, doesn't really matter the mileage. I think the technical parts of the race are more important than the mileage. Um, I got 350 miles into it the worst I've ever felt in heat. I did move from Alaska, which doesn't have heat. Um, so I could maybe point to that as a reason of not doing too well, but about 350 miles in, I was like, I'm, I'm not capable of doing this right now. And being out here is dangerous. And that year he won the race. Um, he raced his own race, which he is a bike packer. He loves riding his bike. He made a really great route and every bone's leaving on it. He's, of course, going to go out there and ride it, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, whoever got second that year, I want to say... I'm going to get the name wrong. Well, Google it, if you care. Who are we Googling this? Who, who can we ask to Google this? No, I'm just saying the listener listening right now. Oh, yeah. If you care, you can look up who won second place on the 2020 Utah Mixed Epic. Perfect. Uh, thank you, person <laughs> who Googled that. Um... <laughs> So that race takes you across high elevation mountains where it's going to be very cold. 
takes you across very long desert stretches where I say no resupply. And I mean, resupply between water is going to be possibly a stock tank that is going to be disgusting yeah. and possibly not good. Or you camel up and you carry eight liters. That's a definite possibility. On the first two days, I think there was a temperature swing in a 24-hour period for 100 degrees. I remember it was 115 at one point. And it's dry heat, so you sweat really fast and it evaporates really fast, so you can stay cool. Yeah. Water just flies right out of your body. And then back to freezing cold on the other side of it. Um, and that's usually a high elevation place. And so he's taking you through these mountains. He's taking you across these desert valleys. It's elevation. It's knowing when to time mountain passes. It's knowing when to take a lot of food and then filter water. It's taking all of the right gear. It's taking naps in the middle of the day because it's too hot to ride during the day. Literally, you will run out of water if you try and cross some sections during the day. Wow. And 350 miles in the first day or the first year, I realized not ready for this. Didn't plan like this. Didn't bring the right bike for me. I usually like a little bit more bouncy bike, a bigger tire, because I do not want to try and ride hard and crash my bike or do anything weird. Um, so next year, went back, took a dropper post suspension fork and 2.6 inch tires. <laughs> I would say it wasn't so important for me to know the route. I looked at mileages, elevations, knew where the mountains were, but I kept telling people, if you know who Tim Tate is, that's what you should be planning for. This person, if you get to know him or listen to him, when he says something's difficult, when someone says this is going to be a real tough ride, but they don't do tough stuff or you don't, you know, they're not into that. You take it with a grain of salt of eh, maybe yeah. don't have a ton of experience with what difficult is. And yeah, when you go into like the park office at a state park and she's yeah. like, oh, that's a black trail. You're like, yeah. oh, maybe. oh, you want to have all day to do this. And eh, I'm pretty experienced. I think I know what I'm doing. Um, but when Tim when Tate Tim tells you to, yeah, this one's a little bit, this is a little squarely <laughs> descent or this is a long stretch. You might want to take some more food and water. You really, really need to listen to him when he gives you warnings. Um, so the next year that came up, Took more bike than I probably needed. Took a lot of gear. Um, didn't really try to slim down staying warm or staying cool or staying loaded up on water or food. And I went into that race just planning to ride it and enjoy it and take pictures and have a good time. And I would describe every single different part of that route from the like beautiful aspen trees that were popping off like atomic bombs through the first several days or the desert stretches where you could see for what felt like a hundred miles of your route ahead of you. And usually I don't like a unbroken line of sight. I do like yeah. turns and twists, but it's just beautiful out there. Got to traverse the entire state, went through lots of really beautiful parks. And then that year he changes the route every year and I don't think it'll ever be the same, but we ended up finishing in Moab and I think halfway through the race, I ended up catching Tim. He was in first place. We ended up riding together for, or I say together, we both like our alone time. We're kind of crossing paths, making jokes, yeah. you know, just talking about whatever we've ridden a lot together before. And at the time, he would ride off and I'd stay back and then I would ride off and he'd stay back and just cross paths and talk. 
it was just a really good experience getting to ride with someone or around them that I was really comfortable with. And out there, you kind of want to feel like you know someone out there. Connected. Yeah. And the land's really beautiful. And ended up on the last couple of days, you know, talking to him about, you know, what do you, what do you want to do with this ride? What do you, how do you plan on riding this? And he's just a very humble person. And he's like, it's my race. Like I made the route. I can't win this race. It's, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to win this race. And so on the last day we, he had pushed really, really hard the first few days. He had gotten very little sleep and I'm, I really like getting my sleep because if I can get six hours of sleep and cover the same distance in a terrain versus getting two hours of sleep and going slower, but still covering the same distance, I'm going to go for the six hours of sleep. Some keeps me happier throughout the whole day. Yeah. And there's diminishing returns, like fewer and fewer hours of sleep, your body doesn't do well and it starts breaking down in the last like day or two. I would kind of ride really hard and see how he was riding or see how long it took him to catch back up. And on the last day, I knew he didn't want to win his own race. And so on the last couple of big climbs in the day, I was like, okay, he's either going to try to keep up with me and just to have fun and try and ride really hard or whatever the case may be. But if he doesn't want to win his race, it's mine to just try to go as hard as I can and see if I can win. And then I think it was such a long climb. I could see his light after I started riding hard way, way, way back. And I was like, okay. I can, I can outpace him on this last couple of climbs. So I just rode hard until the finish, but it was nice because not often do I get to ride as fast as I want to and enjoy a ride and like take pictures and see someone that I know every once in a while. Cause a lot of races that you do that are not as many people doing it or you're way out there. You don't see anyone for a week on end. Yeah. If you have some funny jokes that have been like rattling around <laughs> in your head for you don't have anyone to several, tell to. you just, that's honestly what we did. We just roll up and be like, Hey, it's a pretty nice desert. Don't you think just whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever thought we happen to have in our head is nice to be able to share it. Yeah. How many people participated in, uh, 2022 or 20, wait, what year are we in? Yeah. yeah 21, 2021. Mm, I'd say there's probably 40 people that did it. How many of you will finish? Oh, I don't know the statistics of that. I think the first year, maybe a third finish in the second year. I think it was maybe like 40 to 50%. I was the first one to finish and it was about a week or eight days. I don't remember the exact time. Was it really muddy? I remember watching uh, Steve from Rodeo Labs at one point and I don't know what happened with him. I don't know if you ever heard the story, but he like, I don't know. I thought he quit. I thought he quit the race and then he kept going. I don't, I don't know what happened. Oh, are you talking about um, Jeff? Yeah. Jeff, not Steve. Yeah, Jeff from Rodeo Jeff's Labs. Jeff Sap. He's not from Rodeo Labs. Oh, no, you're talking about uh, Oklahoma guy. Oklahoma, yeah. 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 No, is that who it was? Maybe it was him. I th- I'm pretty sure it's Yeah, him. it was him. Jeff uh, Sap. Sorry, Jeff. No, nah, Jeff. Jeff understands. He's making um, <clears throat> titanium... No, but for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, titanium stem caps. Ooh. Bikes are death. Coming oh, out soon. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Jeff used to live in Oklahoma. I have ridden across Oklahoma with him, and I have one of his titanium flashlights in my apron right now at work. Damn. They're beautiful. They're nice. Um, they're incredible. Um, he was also on our podcast recently. I want to say Within Tolerances. Yeah. 
I don't know if you listened to that, but I, when I was listening to it, I was like, I understand like a quarter of these words. I feel really smart. <laughs> I didn't listen to it, but he, uh, in, in machining, he was on like a machining podcast. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, he did it. And I would say he's finished True Divide twice. I have watched him do some really long races. He is really smart and tenacious and he, he will ride his own ride. Absolutely. But he will get the job done if he wants to. He's um, another person whose name keeps coming up on my podcast. He's a good guy. And I, well, I mean, spending time in Oklahoma, of course, you know, you're going to hear his name. Yeah, he's in Colorado Springs now. He, uh, his brother lives in Texas. And hmm. so he's been trying to get his brother to ride. I don't know if he signed up this year, but last year he, he signed up and, uh, and didn't come. I don't, I don't know why. Um, but so it goes. Yeah. I mean, with COVID and shit these days, it's like, I don't know. And to be honest, the first year I did it, we let 100 people come. Only 47 showed up. I was happy. Yeah, like a hundred people is a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm like you. I'm like I. I don't know. Big groups. I don't mm. know. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jeff in the race, he actually was going to start with us at the start line on the day of, and he got delayed. He had to come back a week later. Oh, yeah. So he was behind us mostly because he just started a week late, and even during the race. The clay, the midnight clay out in Utah, it can rain and be impassable. And I don't know how to tell you coming from an area like Oklahoma where they have Mid-South and it's mud, it's bad, like, you, you know, it's arduous. I'm talking impassable. There is no way you're getting through there. Feet, wheels crawling. I don't know what a mud buggy is, but <laughs> whatever gets across mud, I don't think anything gets across um, but that area is impassable, but you wait 12 hours in sunshine and a little bit of wind, like rock hard, smooth, fast. Oh, wow. And so that happened during the race. Actually, Tim got caught up in that and someone behind me got caught up in that. And I just happened to be in like a good weather window for one day where it made my ride like two or three hours and other people's 12 hours. Wow. So a little bit of luck. Look brutal. It, well, that's the other thing you have to, you have to look at weather and how it's coming through the area. And should I sleep now? And then hit that later because I remember one night, I don't really like going to sleep early, but it was 10 o'clock and I knew what the weather was doing in front of me. And I was like, ah, that looks like a muddy zone. That's like desert stretch. I know it kind of sprinkled or is going to rain. I want to hit that later in the day, in the afternoon. So I'm going to go to sleep now, sleep a whole bunch. I think I slept like eight or nine hours that night. The next day, just fully ready to go riding hard and then went across it right when it was kind of starting to firm up. And yeah. No problems. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but Jeff, he was getting through one of the last desert stretches and was riding through um, a desert stretch as you essentially the exit most people take to get towards Moab. Um, we were crossing a desert section there um, to go to the LaSalle Mountains and just hit mud, like impassable. Take the bike out of your hands and now weighs 75 pounds. You're not moving it. And he had to hitch to the road. And he had a family member that was planning on picking him up at the finish. And rather than like hitch a ride with some stranger, hitches a ride uh, with a family member, goes to a hotel, and he's a kind of a completionist guy. He comes back, gets his bike, rides to the finish. And I remember uh, Tim texted me through Instagram or text messages, I'm not sure which one, but he asked me, hey, does Jeff know I have to disqualify him from like finishing times for doing that? And I was like, Jeff doesn't know that he'll take it on the chin and he'll be fine. 
he's done a lot of races and he he's not there for the fame and glory or you know having his name up on the wall not that it hurts anything but he's i feel like he's there because he wanted to experience this ride yeah and you know making smart decisions so you don't get hurt or wallow in the mud or whatever the case is is probably the best move because on that one we're kind of going along this road a few times where you know probably a quick hike out through mud to get to a main road and get picked up rather than backtracking on course or going forward on a course both ways impassable just just get off the course come back 24 hours later and it's probably good to ride i want to have him on the podcast so i'll have to ask him about it also ask him some wild things to machine and make too because i wish i mean he has a very good living making flashlights and he does an incredible job but every time i've seen something that he's made for bicycles i have just celebrated because he knows what a cyclist needs and he yeah he, he makes incredible beautiful pieces of metal and, and after my ability. stem caps he'll like segue into bike parts well i have two be the i have two little like emblems that he's made one we did a route across oklahoma and he etched the route onto a tooled steel piece of metal that was the shape of oklahoma it's a bottle opener and then he also he came by my work and he was going to make a valve core a spoke tool and a couple other pieces on a little utah shaped thing oh, and yeah. he, he made that for people who did the utah yeah, he told me about that. yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and i loved I it that. too because he came by and i was like oh yeah i got the measurements for this is the tool key i think you should make the spoke nipple tool out of and i said it's 3.23 millimeters and that's like a standard nipple head size. And he's like, Oh, I'll just measure it. And he pulls out this little tool. I think it was a diameter measuring tool. And he starts like slotting these in. He is never satisfied with what something should be or what it's on some spec sheet. Someone says it's 3.2. He's like, eh, let me check. Yeah, I'm, I understand what you're saying, but let me get the exact number because I'm going to make it perfect. Yeah, He's really good at making things perfect. I remember one time he made a, um, a stem that had an upward-facing plate so you could put a crossbar and arrow bars in more upright position. Mm-hmm. He made it for himself. He made it the day before we rode across Oklahoma. And I asked him, oh, yeah, did you cut some knurling into that or put carbon paste or, you know, how did you make sure that that was going to hold really well? And his response is, well, I made it perfect. (laughs) So, like, it wouldn't have any issues clamping perfectly onto something. I was like, all right, you know, that is fair. Uh, (laughs) Your job is to make things. I mean, his lights and everything, he puts more into it than I probably even recognize. We're going to have the best best damn stem caps in the world is what you just said. That's what I'm I'm aware of. Price just went up, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I don't know. What's he going to make them out of? Titanium. We're not fucking around, man. I mean, no. Bikes or death, we're going right to the top. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. What Uh, else, uh, what's next for you? You know, people have asked me that a lot. That's a great question to ask people. Yeah. What do you plan on doing? Um, there's a race. Oh, one of my friends, Sofian, he said, oh, you should come do this uh, race in the Balkans, Trans-Balkan race. I kind of want to go do that. But right as you're about to sign up for it, you're like, are we going to be able to go to the Omnicon, Balkans? Omnicon, Omni, whatever it Omnomicron, is. Omnomicron, yeah. Om, Omnomicron. 
And uh, I'd like to... Comic-Con is coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming for you. I want to go do that race. I want to yeah, go Sophie do the Hope have 1000. You, have you met Sophion? Yeah. Um, we, uh, we met in Colorado when he quit Tour Divide. I ended up waiting for a day as my wallet was catching up to me from very nice gentleman Jeff who picked it up in the Wyoming Great Basin. And I stayed there for a day because I didn't really have anything to do. Hung out there and talked to him a little bit. And then I ended up talking to him quite a bit before we did the Atlas Mountain Race. And we've kept in contact and we've talked about like bike maintenance and component stuff uh, from time to time. He's a bike messenger. He's a bike nerd as well. He loves bikes. And so we've talked a little bit and he was kind of talking to me about what races I was planning on doing and uh, he mentioned that race and it's just something you just want to say yes to. Like, yeah. Sure. You've looked into it. Sounds great. I've never so been there. So beyond invite you, you just say yes. It's right. Like and I, well, you to Alaska. It's like, you just, just say yes. Well, how many questions do you need to ask? Yeah. Like I didn't, you know, Pepper said, Hey, come to Alaska. Like I, I didn't ask her, well, what are we going to ride and what are we going to do? I don't, You'll figure it out. It'll, it'll, it's fine. Pepper said, come to Alaska. I'm going. You know? Yeah. Um, and he's he's not even doing that race as far as I'm aware, but he was just mentioned that it existed and seems like a good one. I'm not sure if I'm going to go to it now. I'd still need to sign up and get tickets to all the way over there, which are kind of expensive. Um, might just plan on if this you know COVID situation continues to look confusing, not plan on anything international, obviously. Um, just because making plans then having to cancel is no fun. Um, but there's tons of stuff to do here. There's tons of routes that yeah. you can just play around with in the U.S. and local states. And I'm not really one who I don't. I love to travel, but I'm not fighting against. You know, you can't tell me what to do. If if it's better to not, I can amuse myself with riding. There's a lot of the U.S. that I have not ridden, and I would really love to. Yeah, we live in a pretty dope place. Yeah, I could ride in Arkansas and probably not be bored for a second. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to do in Arkansas. A lot yeah. to find. A lot of great, you know, I don't know, if you like bikes and riding bikes, if you like gravel, mountain bikes, if you like tough terrain, if you like riding 365 days a year in a bike community with friendly people, yeah. you'd probably be okay here. Or if I just you know, continue working on people's bikes and helping their bike goals happen i find a lot of enjoyment in that too i'm gonna leave my bike with you honestly i was going to mention that like i can't really do a lot but if you have anything you want to take care of on your bike i can <laughs> fix up your bike and especially because eh, i mean podcasting is your gig but bikes are your gig so this is your job it's my job your vehicle should work nice yeah i can't work on the bikes or death fan though it's That's okay it that band that band has been great and so is my bike um I take it, my boy, uh, Connor, give a shout out to Connor. You know, it's, it's to me, Connor's like, it's, it doesn't matter what bike shop like you, it's like Connor's the guy that works on my bike, you know? Yeah. And And, to have someone who knows how you ride is so important. He's a bike packer. I mean, he's one of my best, best friends and we, we do all kinds of stuff. So he knows the kind of shit I'm going to be doing and it's extremely rare. I have a mechanical. Um, the last mechanical I had was a bent derailleur because, 
lent it up against a fence and the wind blew and it blew it down. Oh yeah. And it's just got to get that over the, out of the way. Just go ahead and bend the derailleur from taking a picture (laughs) on a windy day. That's it. it, I laughed at myself because I'm sitting there recording a podcast. We were recording about this route as we were riding and we're sitting there like in a cemetery and talking and like, I watch my bike. Like, you know, the one thing that I tell everybody is don't lean your bike up to where it can, Just go ahead and put it on the ground. Just put it on the ground. Yeah, it's fine down there. Yeah, but you got to get that picture. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That Instagram picture is a beautiful bike. It's a beautiful bike. It got a Radivist top 10. Did you know that? I saw it. It It's on the page. It's on the fucking page. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, Chumba, pay me. Pay me. (laughs) (laughs) I need a sponsorship. I need Chumba to sponsor me. (sighs) Cheers. That's a wrap. That can be a wrap. Yeah, I mean we can uh, we can do it again another time. Yep, you can do you can do more cool shit, and we can talk about that too. Yeah, (laughs) I appreciate you coming on the podcast though. For real, I mean it's it's great to talk to you, and uh, a lot a lot of people wanted to wanted me to talk to you, and I'm glad they did. And I was telling Brett, it's one of the reasons I love this community is because there's a a bunch of people that I I may have heard of or kind of know, but y'all aren't. There's a there, there's a large contingent of this uh, this community that is not self promoting, yeah, and they're not like doing it for any other reason be, because they enjoy it. You know, like Brett 2011 or started. You know, he's been doing this shit a long time and not doing it for any promotion. But that's what motivated me was to go and like find the people that were just regular people, and you know, regular people are still doing the tour divide. You know, you don't have to be a sponsored athlete and have a team car and you know, whatever else, like you can just be a pretty regular dude or chick mm-hmm. and uh, go do epic shit. And it's part of the fun about this is like getting to talk to and meet. Um, yeah. People who aren't out there. Like I can't read a book about you. There's, you know, <laughs> no. there's not a bunch of like magazine articles and uh, you know, stuff. It's like, you just got to go talk to them, like meet them. Yeah. Enjoyed meeting you. Enjoyed meeting you too. Cheers. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. And again, thank you so much to Dylan for coming on today's episode and sharing your story, your stoke, and your love for bikepacking with all of us. It was truly awesome to get to meet you. And uh, man, hope to get, get to do it again sometime. All right, well, coming up next week, we have an episode with Miles Arbor. Back in December, he and I scouted a route for bikepacking.com called the Queen's Ransom Loop there in Arizona. Uh, We started in Phoenix and spent, it was about 230 miles just east of Phoenix in the Superstition Mountain or, uh, yeah, just at the base of the Superstition Mountains. Can't ride your bike in them because it's a wilderness area, but um, it was a really beautiful, really challenging route. And so this next episode is going to be kind of like a route preview and Miles and I, we just take you along our journey and, and share our experience with you. That route is published over at bikepacking.com, so you can check that out. And uh, if you're thinking about doing it, this episode might be the perfect one for you to listen to. So that's coming out next week. And then, like I said, I'm about to pack it up and head back up to Arkansas and Missouri and uh, capture a couple more episodes. So those will be coming out in the forthcoming weeks. 
Until then, if you love the Bikes for Death podcast, if you're getting something out of this, if it's giving you inspiration or stoke to get out there in the outdoors and riding your bike, please consider signing up to be a sustaining patron over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. That is the number one way that you can support the efforts that we have going on here because we truly can't do it without you. I've got big plans in 2022. Ooh, that rhymes. I got big plans in 2022, and I can't do it without you. All right, well, let's wrap this one up, but thank you so much for all the support over the past few years. It's been absolutely amazing to see this community grow, to meet so many amazing people and be able to share their stories with you. And I am very much looking forward to the next 100 episodes. So hang tight because we are just getting started. And as always, thank you for being here. And don't forget to go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself just a few more miles. Thanks.